does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Kevin, don't look now. I thought Mark was going to lead off the show with it. I'm a little disappointed, Mark. Don't look now, but here come the red legs. Hell yeah. Mark Dykton. (laughs) That takes a lot of courage, Mark, and a lot of reluctance. I don't like doing it. But Mark Dykton, just doing his job, and we appreciate that. The hottest team in baseball, the longest winning streak since their last division title. That would be 2012. It's crazy to think, like... You know, when you cheer for a franchise and they've been such a pathetic display of a sports franchise for the last decade, when I sit there and think to myself, I was in college the last time they had a win streak like this, That's there's good and bad to it. Uh, probably more bad than good, but oh my gosh, it's June 20th and the Reds are in first place in the division. Here's the question, and I don't know this answer. Because there are teams that get out to a decent start and then they just completely fail. You're like, this isn't real. And then there are other teams that, you know, you're like, you know what? These guys are pretty good. And they just keep hanging around and, it's a, and just one of those magical years. Which one is it? Which way are we going with it? You know, I, I'm a sucker for Hollywood-type storylines. I'm a sucker for kind of emotional moments in sports. The Joey Votto thing last night, I think has me believing even more. And again, I'm such prisoner of the moment with that comment. But when you think about Votto, he's kind of the guy, Jake, in this franchise that's like, wait, he's still around? He still plays for them? How is he not left? Guys just don't stay for 16, 17 years. It almost seemed like late last season with his injury, it was like getting ceremonial. It was like, oh yeah, here's Votto in the crowd tonight. Yeah. Uh, Here's Votto in the broadcast booth. And then last night, he makes his return. Hits a homer, huge two-run single in the sixth. The crowd's I mean, going the nuts. Pl- it feels like he hasn't played in like six years, right? I think it was ten, nine or ten months. So all of a sudden, I, I again, I watched last night. I'm thinking this could happen. And who? Someone's got to win the central this year. That's why I think it's the latter that it could be real because the the division is not very good and. I mean, I bet all the teams are kind of just jumbled together. And like, if you look at the division, none of them are a wild card team. No. You know, you've got the East and the West that have much deeper um, sorts of divisions. But how about the Marlins? Eleven games over five hundred, and like in the Marlins, can you name a Marlin? Luis Arise. I I was going to say Luis Castillo. Uh, It's it's great. I'm trying to just be like appreciate it right now, Kevin. This is wild. Uh, They were seven and fifteen at one point. They had a six game stretch this year, all losses, where combined six games of baseball. Let's say all of those go nine innings. In fifty four innings, they scored six runs. They were shut out three times. (laughs) I mean, there was a time this like. Do you remember? Was it last year? Yeah, I guess it was last year, right? Where I'm like, they may not win thirty games. I think you guys were kind of like, I'm like, by Father's Day, they're going to get to 15 wins. I felt like I was doing the same thing last year with them that I was doing with the A's. But I, I say this in all seriousness, what the Reds are doing right now is a bit like what the Pacers did this past season, and it's what the Colts hope to do. You have, for the most part, a pretty young roster, a booming star, potentially, 
and Ellie De La Cruz and can you inject life into your fan base? And the Reds are doing it right now, uh, and it's been pretty fun to watch here, especially over the last couple of weeks. Good Tuesday morning to you. Again, a little humidity as you're walking out to the car this morning. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, and Mark Dykton. We are a couple of days away from the 2023 NBA Draft. And, you know, outside of that, guys, it's kind of getting into the, hey, did you watch the College World Series last night? Like, that's kind of where we're at in a sports calendar standpoint. Um, Have you guys been watching any of the uh, action in Omaha? I I saw, you know what I saw more than anything else was the the home run that, it was a couple days ago, I think it was Sunday, right? When TCU and Oral Roberts, that was probably the last time that I really saw, because the it was completely butchered on the radio call, or the TV call, I mean. And um, that was really the last time I paid, I didn't watch it last night, is what I'm getting at. Did you? Uh, I haven't watched as much as I would like to. I think, uh, bless you, I think as the week moves along, I'll get into it more. It seems like the games have been really... Really competitive out there. Well, and, Wake Forest is really good. Yeah, and they, <laughs> they have an uh, unbelievable pitching staff. They knocked Notre Dame out of the ACC tournament. Um, but yeah, Wake Forest seven zero on in this playoff run. They are the number one seed. Uh, but I am looking forward to watching a little bit more of it because I always enjoy the atmosphere there. And and at some point, I think it'd be fun to go to Omaha for that. Uh, TCU and Oral Roberts, by the way, today. That's an afternoon game, two o'clock. Oh, and you then didn't tonight. use their other name that you had. No, I'm not going to use that. I like to keep my job. It is good, though, isn't it? That's a good one. <laughs> what? Well, I, you guys are. Oh, you know what it is. No, we'll I, I'm it. not following. Oral today. Roberts. Yeah, I have my own nickname for them. Uh, LSU and Tennessee. What is that? No, you can't. Nope. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you mean? You aren't going to share with our listeners? That's no, a I'm not going to inside jokey. It, he wrote it down that before, is true. but it's not. It's not repeatable. The uh, the use Roberts imagination. The Roberts part, I just go with. Um, we go Bob, Bob. Bobby. Bob, yeah, and it kind of rhymes Robbie? with the first part. We'll leave it at that. Simply leave it at a that. A lot of maturity from the 50-year-old in studio here on this. <laughs> the guy who printed off every sports franchise logo yesterday. Tuesday yeah. morning. I don't know how that I'm afraid to print anything this morning, right? We'll talk some Colts coming up. Nate Atkins from the Star joins us. I exit the spring offseason program more confident that Anthony Richardson will and should start week one. We'll explain that a little bit more. As the show moves along, I do want to give a shout out to Anthony Calhoun. I uh, was fortunate to play in his golf outing yesterday. He does such an outstanding job for um, an organization that I know is close to people at this station, particularly JMV and Teachers Treasures. Uh, $460,000 raised yesterday. Um, Teachers Treasures is an awesome organization where your money goes to helping uh, teachers all across the state, particularly inner city. Uh, get school supplies for their classrooms. And, you know, I have such, I don't know about you guys, I have such like vivid memories of what my elementary school classrooms look like. And, and just like the coolness of walking in there and seeing, you know, a, a, a poster or a sign or a, I mean, hell, even something as, you know, elementary, if you will, as a pencil sharpener. And you kind of take that for granted, or at least I, I did. And, and so, um, great day yesterday up at Woodland Country Club in Carmel. Um, saw a lot of people out there, and uh, kudos to Anthony for everything he's done here in this uh, market from a philanthropic standpoint. When it comes to elementary school, you know the the two things. Okay, 
This is so weird. When you talk about the senses of like walking in and seeing your school on the first day of school in particular, and you remember what like it was such a thrill that first day, like who was your teacher and you know sprinting who's in your class. Bus. Totally. The the two thing the two senses that that reawaken that for me. And I, I've always wondered if, like, if I'm alone in this, I I can still smell the classroom, like the smell of I can smell this the sharpener, the pink rubber eraser, and like the plastic of like the plastic folders, like your trapper keeper folder when you opened it, and yes, the pencil sharpener for sure. The other are the two sounds, and I. I don't know. I mean, obviously, air conditioning existed when I was a kid, but for whatever I don't know if elementary schools now have them more so, but we did not. So the two sounds that I remember the most you guys are the teaching sound of, toughness in Washington Township. Seriously. Our high school didn't have air conditioning. I remember the sounds. Your high school didn't? No. It was hell on earth. I was going to say. The sounds of oscillating fans and... The sounds of a mower in the distance. Those are the two oh, yeah. things that uh-huh. immediately awaken. For, like the custodian mowing the grass off in the distance while the windows were cracked well, I open. I can picture the janitorial staff at Cherry Tree Elementary. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Icons. Now, you know the- Smell um, the sawdust because Tyler chugged his milk too quick. Oh, yeah, and yeah. Left Anything, it in the Oh, yeah. <laughs> the custodian would come with a little goldfish uh-huh. cracker bag full of sawdust. Tom Greenwood was the custodian at Aliceville Elementary School. You Actually, say Tom Crean? Tom Greenwood. Oh. Uh, he passed of a heart attack at school. Jeez. Now that's a little traumatic. When I was in the fifth grade, boy, Mr. Greenwood, and I remember, you know, it was like, we well, you know, held that together. You think we're like Mr. Greenwood was a, you know, he was an old man, so he had a heart attack at school. And I'm like, he was probably fifty, but you know what I mean. Like, I mean, God love him. He was a great, he was a fun guy, but, um, but yeah, elementary school man. And you know, I have a friend right now that teaches. I won't say the township. I won't say the school. I don't want to get anybody in trouble. But she is currently preparing her classroom for the school year and has, like, flying termites. Matter of fact, she has kids right now. In, they're doing a summer school thing. And they have, they have like, an insect infestation in the school. And they have the a woman come in and vacuum the bugs every morning. And I'm like, they can't get, like, Orkin to come in? Like, I almost feel like we should chip in and get Orkin to go in there and take care of the school. Yeah, that doesn't seem... <clears throat> very sanitary although it does seem like a good time to maybe do the insect part of the educational experience <laughs> that's not a bad you know? idea a little science yeah. class uh, and yeah, maybe two birds with one stone there <laughs> don't want to confuse the kids mom the circus is over at school let's go in there no that we can't end. i mean literally rosie's fascination with bugs is yeah is that good that or bad end. Well, I, I just think there's a curiosity of like what is this creature that's moving that's okay you know the size of my fingernail let me, let, speaking of that Allow me to ask you guys this. As a matter of fact, I would like anybody to either text or tweet me their level of concern on this. So I have a potted plant. Like my big step of adulthood responsibility was like two years ago. I'm like, I'm just going to buy a potted plant. And it's been great. I, and I've been, I've enjoyed watching the plant grow. I'm very proud of my responsibility here. You're a cat daddy and a plant daddy. Indoors or outdoors? Indoor. Now, the, the plant has to be, it, it sits on top of a bookshelf where the cat can't get to it because it's supposedly, like, you know, not good for the cat, the, the plant itself. But I water, it's a, it's like an African desert plant or some weird thing. So, the, you know, it's low maintenance, right? Like me. And so, the... I watered it the other day. I think I overwatered it, even though I've had it for like two years. But at any rate, 
I was checking the the soil to see if it needed to be watered, and so you kind of see how dry the soil is. And I saw a very small, almost microscopic level earthworm. Now, is that common in an indoor potted plant? I don't know how the worm would get in there first off. Sounds like you need to call Pat Sullivan when but, he's in with JMV on Friday. Uh, I that, do. That's a great ask Pat question. I, I think that I, 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 because immediately my first thought was, that's it. It's gone. Infestation. And no, I will not have infestation in this, in this residence. Out the door. See it. Cyanide of the plant. And then I, I think actually it's not totally bad for the plant, but I don't know. I, I, I don't want. It grosses me out to know that sitting eight feet up in the air in my place is something that is a that is a, a resonance of earthworms. It, it, that disgusts it's me. It's just part of the environment. Not a worm guy? Am I not a worm guy? Yeah. I'm not a worm guy. That is correct. It doesn't bother you. Not even tequila. I do like tequila, but not the worm. You know, this is probably a sign that the Bowen family goes to solvents too much. And Mark, you can relate to this, I, I would assume. Is Paw Patrol a viewing experience yeah. in the Dyketon household? Not as high as Bluey, but it's okay. there. Um, so Rosie has a cousin that is a boy, Ben. Um, they're about a month apart. And the other day, Ben throws the Frisbee up on the roof of the house. And Ben says, we need to call Ryder. Ryder is a character in Paw Patrol that saves the day. You know, all these dogs that (laughs) save the day. And Rosie looks at Ben and goes, no, Ben, we need to go to Sullivan's. Really? So one says, let's get the dog to save the day. The other says, let's go to Sullivan's. That's, well, the... Like, Pat, can we get a commercial here? That's pretty solid. You know, for Rosie Bowen. So all of this, again, shout out to Anthony Calhoun and Teacher Treasures. Craig says, my wife is an elementary school teacher for 29 years. Class supply funds seems to go down every year. She spends hundreds of dollars for her classroom and her students. She is a member of Teacher Treasures and uses them as well. Thank you for your support. I think that's such like a misnomer about teachers, like how much money they do spend on their classrooms and again i've told you guys before both of my parents are teachers so it means a lot to help out in a small way someone i did well two people that i saw yesterday out there saw many tom allen is actually playing playing behind me every time tom allen hit a golf ball though i was afraid that there was going to be like some tenacity behind it you know i was going to get a come on yo leo you know yelling (laughs) he's yelling relentless at you instead of four yes exactly i was worried about like Ah. his his touch around the greens you know did he have that Uh, joe wright's huge reds fan so he was going nuts the other guy that i saw yesterday was former colts kicker now chase mclaughlin really Hmm. so did you guys see this Hot Rod is now in Tampa Bay kicking. I knew yeah. that. So this is now the third time in four years Chase McLaughlin and Rodrigo Blankenship will be in a kicking competition. So do, do you think they're buddies? I, I was going to say, you go out to an NFL practice and you watch the punter, the kicker, and the long snapper, and then I guess throw in an additional kicker. There's usually a fourth um, specialist. You watch them hang out and you would think they are inseparable. You would think they are the best of best friends. Ted Lasso and Coach Beard. Yeah. Literally. So I'm thinking to myself, are they friends? Or at this point, are they like, oh my God, not again. (laughs) I think you probably do become friends, right? I mean, there are so many times. I remember here, when I my first go around here, which I, I think very few people probably remember, but I worked at WIBC for, I think it was three weeks. And on the morning show, Vince Welch had left, and I had applied for that job, and it came down to myself and Mark Janes. And I didn't know Mark Janes. I knew him from doing the 500 and doing IHSA stuff, but I didn't know Mark personally. 
and obviously, you know, I, I ended up getting that job, but then ended up on the radio network for the Speedway. And I remember walking in, and I'm like, oh boy, Mark Jane's like mm-hmm. probably hates yeah. me. Yeah. And like, could not. He, he came up to me and was like, hey, listen, you need anything like to, to get used to this deal? Let me know. Da, da, da. And I mean, now he's one of my absolute best friends in the world. But we, you know, in the beginning, but you know, you you have people that are your competitor, but yet, so f- I think in the world of kicking. Kevin, so few people can relate to what they do and and like the what the routine is and probably what helps them th- in terms of the mental aspect of kicking. Probably it's cathartic for them to have somebody else right there that is the only other person that knows what they're doing every day. You yeah, know? there were so many obviously wild elements to the Colts season last year. You almost kind of forget about the hot rod miss in week one and that cost him his job. It then leads to the Colts tying the Houston Texans. Chase McLaughlin comes in, and you want to talk about one of the few bright spots of last season. He was great. Chase McLaughlin. You know, I, I just assumed you'd bring him back. And then the Colts go out and make a, a splash with a kicker and Matt Gay. So now he's here. Chase McLaughlin, who has called Indy home really ever since he got his start in the NFL. Because I thought he should have, you know, that their first kicking competition was back during the COVID training camp. That was when Chase McLaughlin replaced Adam Vinatieri late in the year in 2019 did a nice job they go into the 2020 season and he's got to be viewed i think as the favorite and then they get hot rod as an undrafted free agent hot rod beats him out and you know i think hot rod had you know some up and down moments throughout his few seasons here and now these two are in another kicking competition in tampa so no no kicking competition for the colts as matt gay was how did you how did you golf yesterday signing uh we got third yeah out of how many? That's pretty decent. Uh, I think it was two groups on every every hole, so thirty six. Now the um, speaking of golfing, we're going today. Well, it's three weeks from today, right? Yeah, but we're going today to to promote it, right? We're we're yes. going to shoot. So we're going to head to the back nine for those unfamiliar with the back nine, located just I mean, literally a view of downtown. You hit out in this netting area. There's multiple levels down there. Um, it's a beautiful spot. Uh, with a, again a great view of downtown entertainment uh, along with a little bit of golf i consider it jake a little bit more of a entertainment atmosphere like tv food and drink and certainly golf um but i think it's a great time for all levels so i'll be there for the tv food and drink right uh three weeks from today that will be our fan golf outing presented by franciscan health so that is july 11th a tuesday we'll be doing the show live from there um, and I'm really, really look, looking forward to it. I think 11 a.m. is when things start, and uh, we'll continue through JMV's show. He's going to be there for a um, silent auction as well. Uh, so really, really looking forward to an opportunity to – I don't think we did golf outings last year. Uh, for some reason, I feel like last year we didn't really have any. Um, so looking forward to a little bit more of like a casual atmosphere of the golf outing. You know, Golf outings can get a little bit too – like. Uh, boy, you got to be out on the golf course for five hours, potentially longer. I think this is a little bit more laid back, and we'll come around and say hi to everybody and have a drink and swing the club. And uh, really looking forward to July 11th at the back nine, which is again just south of downtown here. Uh, by the way, we haven't gotten into this much, but I assume we will today. Would Draymond Green be a fit here? I think that type of player would be, but. I'm under the assumption that he did this just to kind of help out Golden State financially. I, I and, think that's right. And, and he's going to return. He opted out of his player. Well, Dunleavy, option, is that right? Mike Dunleavy, correct. And so everybody's like, oh, wow. But then Mike Dunleavy has said, like, no, no, no. Our, our priority is to bring him back, I believe. 
Speaking of Trace Jackson Day, or speaking of Golden State and Draymond Green, um, I heard that the uh, Trace's family has heard from Golden State that he is a possibility for them at pick number 19. That would not surprise me, honestly. 19. Because, because this year's draft, Kevin, I truly believe this. I think this year's draft, it is thought by teams that there are three franchise players, if you will, in this year's draft. And then after that, it is a combination of taking a flyer at position or filling a safe, specific need at position. And I think that Trace Jackson Davis's maturity as a player, and I don't mean maturity like he's I, I, I mean, obviously he is, a, a, you know, a headstrong young man. I, I don't mean it that way. I mean maturity, meaning his game has matured more so than other players that are younger. Um, you know you have a pretty good idea of what he's going to bring you right away. And so I, I think that there's going to be value in that. 19 seems a little high, yeah. admittedly, but I think and, and you know, teams at one time I think 30 promises to a lot of guys. Yeah, at one time I thought like – that he was probably like a 35 to 40 guy and then that that slid down a little bit to more like probably the 28 to 35 range and i think that's where so i so mid to high 20s i could by the way do you consider the high 20s to be 20 21 22 or 27 28 29 uh 27 28 29 I, yeah as do i yeah um but I, think I would mi- say early 20s would be like 20, 21, 22. Right. That's usually what I go with. Him. I, I think he's this, the back half of the 20s is where he is thought to be. Yeah, yeah. I, I was a little surprised when I heard that, 19. Now, again, you know, teams and, hey, we really like you. And if you're there at 19, well, we also like six other guys at 19. Right. And, you know, if any of them are there, we might take them. Um, ahead of you so uh, we'll get into that i know there was a report from jonathan gavoni espn's draft analyst that his latest mock draft has jarris walker at five um and i think our listening audience has heard me say jarris walker taylor hendricks those are the two that, that i've centered on for the Col- or for the pacers at seven um, i probably have walker slightly ahead of hendricks i i like hendricks a lot and think he's pretty modern for what today's nba is all about uh, but i would go with walker just slightly above him i think a lot of people felt like or feel like the pacers will have both of them on the board at seven but if you look at this, Jonathan Gavodi has Jairus Walker going a couple of spots ahead of the Pacers. He actually has Cam Whitmore from Villanova falling to number nine. That's the, uh, Whitmore, I think. I don't know that, the, that Whitmore falls past the Pacers probably, right? And again, I think for the most part, for the last month or so, the assumption was Whitmore would go ahead of the Pacers, potentially like in that 4-5 range, right after you, you get past Webanyama, Scoot Henderson, and Brandon Miller. Again, Cam Whitmore, nice player. To me, just too similar to Benedict Matherin. And I could be wrong on this, but I I am still just, I feel like the Pacers are in a position where you need to find the best player available at the best fit and not necessarily just best player available, no questions asked, and you'll figure it out later. Um, I think you're in a position right now to, again, find that bigger wing sort of defender, and that's where Walker and Hendricks fits in uh, nate atkins from the star is going to join us at 8 30 to talk colts you know we chatted a lot last thursday about jonathan taylor and that contract situation 
and you know Taylor's comments, which were very unusual for him. Um, Nate was a little bit more in the Michael Pittman area during that media scrum. You know, both Taylor and Pittman were talking at the same time. I think the majority of us were with Taylor. Nate Atkins was over with Pittman, so um, I didn't get a great, you know, kind of one-on-one view with Michael Pittman on exactly how he views his situation, which is different than Jonathan Taylor. So I'm anxious to catch up with Nate about that because you know when you talk about wideouts, you talk about them resetting the market. Obviously, the the debate here in town is well, Pittman's not a number one, and if you're Pittman's agent, you would say, "Hey guys, have you seen the quarterbacks throwing to my client?" You know how that will play out. I think is as interesting as the Jonathan Taylor one. So we'll chat with Nate Atkins about that in uh, in an hour. I thought, Mark, when you texted us yesterday with today's guests, I thought to myself, how did you get Kyrie Irving? Yeah, I figured you'd your brain would do that. <laughs> Excuse me. I just assumed. Yeah, Jake's going to print off 37 pictures of Kyrie Irving. <laughs> I was I, like, wow. Kyle Irving, is that right, Mark? Yeah, Kyle Irving. He even His Twitter bio even says, not Kyrie, just a couple of letters off. Yeah, it's probably it, a, it is weird how your eye does distinction. that, though, right? Yeah. A mm-hmm. sporting news draft analyst? Mm-hmm. Yep. So coming up on Thursday night, again, 8 o'clock, the NBA draft. A bit of a humid start to this Tuesday here. In Indianapolis, Kevin Bowen, Jake Quarry, Mark Dykton, Ke- Kevin Quarry, right here on 93.5-1075, The Fan. The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Uh, Mark, I, I just assumed that you would lead off with it. Don't look now, but yes. here come the Red Lakes. Yes, yes, yes. Who would have thought a Monday night game against the Rockies would be one of the best environments all year? I I would argue in Major League Baseball. What was the attendance? Do we know the attendance last night? They all were there to see Joey Votto. The standing ovation for Votto's return. He hits a homer and a huge two-run single in the sixth when they were down for three. That is nine straight wins for the Reds. They are leading the NL Central. 20,344 witnessed it last night. I mean, they had some attendance in April that was like in the 7,000 range. <laughs> they're again, pull, they're pulling the A's numbers, you mean. No one is coming to Great American Ballpark to watch the Rockies. They held on. Diaz gets another save in the ninth. Uh, the Reds are leading the Central right now. Start the parade. Start the parade. Don't look now, but here come the red legs. Uh, elsewhere, Major League Baseball last night, by the way. Cardinals over the Nationals, 8-6. It was the Tigers over the Royals, 6-4. Cubs blanked the Pirates, 8 nothing. What was that? That was a kiss to the sky because the Cubs are getting hot again. Red Sox over the Twins, 9-3. Sammy Sosa used to do that? Yeah. Have you seen him lately? He looks like Taco, the guy that's saying putting on the Ritz. That's what Sammy He looks Sosa like Pepto-Bismol. Okay. He's got like a pinkish yeah, hue. I think that's a good way to does. describe him, Mark. Uh, Diamondbacks over the Brewers, 9-1. That puts Diamondbacks now mm-hmm. within sniffing distance of the cute mm-hmm. fellow in our race for PBR. Yeah. Off day for my A's. Day. Your, your Orioles every, have the Rays up next. Every so. day is an off day for the Rays. That's true. Have just you conceded so you know. yet? Have you just bowed out of this contest? No, I just I was I was the hottest team in baseball a week ago. Conceded is a term people that. say about me every once in a while. What do they say? Conceded? Oh. <laughs> Which I find staggering. Right? I, do I still have a better record than JMV's Royals? Oh yeah, the the Royals right Royals now. Royals are nineteen and fifty three. The Ooh, A's 19 are yet. nineteen and fifty five. So no, you have Kansas a, City royally oh. sucks. You have a win percentage of two fifty seven, and the Royals have a win percentage of two sixty four. Nowadays, two fifty seven. I feel like is a decent average. A's are only a twenty seven games out of first. No big deal. 
Uh, NBA draft, of course, coming up on Thursday. The Pacers have a bevy of picks, including the seventh overall and then a number of picks due to trades over the last couple of years. What are the other picks that they have? Like 7, 26, 29, 32, and 50. The vice president, I hope I get this correct because we're longtime friends, vice president of player personnel for the Pacers. Is that right? No, no, no. Vice president of player development, director of player development. How about like number three guy in charge? Ryan Carr yesterday Which one addressed you the local media. On there? Uh, head of the scouts. Player Big, VP of player personnel. VP of player personnel. He's had a few promotions. That's why it's hard to keep track. Uh, Ryan Carr, one of the best dudes around, yesterday addressed the local media and was asked the question of, with all of these picks, what do they do? Do they do they hold firm? Do they trade them? Which way do they look at it going into it? Here's Ryan Carr yesterday. I think there are just a ton of opportunities um, this year. The, you know, with all these picks, different things that could come up, and and it's exciting to see how this plays out in the next few days. There's there you know with all the picks, there you know there's other teams that that may be interested in getting some of those picks. We're interested in the picks and 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 finding out where we could get value for the players at each place. Uh, that we pick or, or moving around to get other guys that, that we like. So, yeah, just a ton of options, and we're looking forward to, to seeing uh, what comes our way. I love Ryan. Like, say nothing without saying nothing. You know what I mean? You have to think the Pacers are one of the most, if not the most, heavily called teams right now in the NBA. I would agree with that. Draft picks, cap space, some young guys, a couple young guys that you're like, uh, are they still part of the plan there? You know, the Buddy Heald, Miles Turner things of like, I think they're definite to still be around, but is that 1,000% sure? Are you still in rebuild mode? Do you feel like that's changed a little bit? Um, I think some really, really interesting times right now for the Pacers leading into Thursday nights. All right, coming up at 8.30, again, Nate Atkins from the Star to join us. Uh, we've talked a lot about the Jonathan Taylor contract situation. Where are things from a Michael Pittman standpoint? I know Nate chatted with Michael last week, um, so we'll get the lowdown on that. And then, not Kyrie, we have Kyle Irving joining us at 9.30. Talk a little bit more from an NBA draft standpoint. I uh, mentioned this earlier, exiting the spring, I feel more confident about Anthony Richardson and that he should start week one. Uh, and I think the Colts have to view what they saw in the spring in that same light. We'll chat about that a little bit more here on the other side. Kevin Aquari, 93.5107.5. The f- 20 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock, and there's, there are, I should say, some showers in the forecast later, but no sign of that this morning. Uh, Mark Dykton has already done his routine of closing the blinds for the window that blinds him, but leaving it wide open for Kevin and I's retinas to scorch. Your, turn, your back is turned. Your retinas are fine. <laughs> okay. And mine? Um, yeah, you're okay. You're off in the distance. <laughs> yeah. Kevin, you uh, you said something interesting about Anthony Richardson, and this is going to be a topic of conversation. I have a feeling that you know we're going to watch closely, especially during camp. But where do you stand now in terms of, if you were to guess or prognosticate, what the date's going to be when they hand the keys over to him? Well, I, I, I still think it should be week one, and I think it will be week one. Um, I don't say the last part in that I think it will be week one based off any sort of like, hey, this is what I'm hearing internally exiting the spring. I say that more off of what my eyes saw over the last month or so 
that the Colts had those open practices. And again, we will get more concrete information once July 25th, 26th rolls around into the month of August of, okay, how do reps look on consecutive practice days, et cetera, et cetera. But what I just saw in the spring is I saw very little separation between the two quarterbacks in Gardner Minshew and Anthony Richardson. And Jake, if you are going to go the Minshew route, I think one of the few reasons why you would go that route is because you feel like there is this massive separation between where the two guys are at come September 12th, 2023. If you just think, guys, Gardner Minshew has, whatever, 15, 20 starts in his NFL career, and you watch the two on the practice field, and they are light years apart. That, to me, would be one of the few and potentially only reasons why you would do that. And I watched him particularly last week during the minicamp, and, I mean, Gardner Minshew had days where he was struggling mightily. And Anthony Richardson wasn't much better by any means. But again, I didn't see this big gap between the two. And I think it's also worth mentioning, if there is a type of practice setting, or a type of setting, I guess, at all, this part of the offseason that Minshew should be better than Richardson, it is right now when it is practice, it is a red jersey, you're not able to evaluate or properly really even run your entire playbook for Richardson. Because Richardson, a big part of what he can do is his running ability. Well, when you're in practice, your quarterbacks are wearing red jerseys. You don't run a whole lot of designed run plays. There are a couple that Richardson runs uh, from a daily practice setting that, that Minshew doesn't. But you would think, if anything, right here, right now, when it's basically all throwing, that is when Minshew would have this big-time separation on Richardson. And I didn't I didn't see that. Um, sure, is he a little bit more consistent? Um, that's definitely fair to say. But I think when you start factoring in the leg element to Anthony Richardson's game, if they're close at all in practice, when it's primarily throwing the football, you throw Richardson out there week one and don't think twice about it. Okay, here's... Yesterday, in the afternoon, I was on with Brian No who was filling in for JMV, and we were discussing this. And this is what I said yesterday. In this market, with this franchise, Kevin, we have precedent to be able to go back at looking at franchise quarterbacks. And by franchise quarterbacks, I mean, you know, sure, the Colts had a good quarterback in Jim Harbaugh. Sure, they made a trade one year for Craig Erickson that was thought to be the guy. They drafted Chris Chandler, who actually was a a good quarterback at a young age. But those weren't guys that that you took way, way, way high. There's precedent here of three number one overall picks as an Indianapolis Colt, not not counting John Elway, and Burt Jones I think might have been number two, but Jeff George in 1990. Jeff George in 1990 is almost, you almost have to take that out because he was in the worst situation ever. The franchise was in total disarray. They traded their best receiver, best lineman to get him. You got Bob Ursay calling plays down from the press box, auctioning them off to people for, you know, drinks and a chicken wing I mean I mean total mess but Jeff George as a rookie was sacked 56 times the running joke was that Jeff George was the only person in Indianapolis that knew exactly how many light bulbs were on the roof of the RCA dome because he laid there and counted them all 
never got firm footing as a quarterback. And it wasn't until he went to Atlanta that he kind of hit his rhythm and hit his stride as a quarterback. But we're going to take that out because that situation was just so bizarre with everything going on with the franchise at the time. Peyton Manning is a rookie. Sacked 22 times. He threw a lot of interceptions, the most ever for a rookie quarterback in the NFL at the time. But you knew with Peyton Manning it was a little bit different because you knew from the pedigree, his father, his understanding, four-year player, tons of starts at Tennessee. Everybody knew that Peyton Manning was likely going to be a great player and that what they did do for Peyton Manning is they kept him clean. You can... The biggest thing for a quarterback is you don't want the PTSD of the clock starting to run in their head all the time. And he was only sacked 22 times as a rookie. Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck comes in. They have this... Every ball bounced their way. In Andrew Luck's case, they, like Peyton Manning, they were playing a schedule that was favorable in that rookie year, admittedly. But Luck was sacked 41 times. Okay? Decent amount of sacks. His, I mean, I think we know his body took a lot of pressure, a lot of, and we saw what happened with that ultimately. But in Luck's case, obviously he was a, a very good player right out of the box. They didn't necessarily keep him clean, but Luck is a big, durable, strong dude. So is Richardson. Could be a benefit. But Luck also out of Stanford, tons of starts, tons of experience, lots of games under his belt, and. You know, the one thing you knew about him was that he was a guy that was like this football IQ guy. David Carr, Houston Texans. That's the one that I always go back to. Yeah, when we talked to John McClain in Houston, what did he say? He was like, look, David didn't work very hard. But David Carr was sacked 76 times as a rookie. And he never came back from it. With Anthony Richardson to me, Kevin... You have you you don't have the collegiate number of starts of an Andrew Luck or a Peyton Manning to know for certain that the trajectory is there, but you have the physical gifts of it. The biggest thing they need to do to me, the Colts end of the obligation should be we need to make sure that he is you know that that, that he understands the reads and the checkdowns, but most importantly, we've got to keep him clean. And I don't think that you hand him the keys You need to do two things. You need to hand him the keys once you know that he's able to read through a defense, and you need to hand him the keys once you know that you are going to be able to protect him. Gardner Minshew, if if the line is a carousel and a bunch of turnstiles, Gardner Minshew's got enough experience in the NFL to know kind of when to throw it away, to know when to take a dive, whatever it might be. And a, a young quarterback has got to learn those things. And I just feel like even though he is a a physical specimen. You don't want to put him in position where the clock is then running in his head for the rest of his career. That, to me, is the number one priority. Yeah, I think Chris Bauer has told us this offseason, Jake, what he thinks of the O-line and that it was all coaching. He thought it was all coaching issue. I mean, it's the same personnel that he's going to throw out there week one this year that ended last season. It's the same exact group. Depth-wise, not a ton has changed. Blake Freeland, a fourth-round pick, is your swing tackle. That's it. So I, I don't think, like... You've got three rookies starting on your offensive line, and you might be hesitant to play the guy week one, but maybe week 10 you're going to be ready. I mean, Quentin Nelson's been in the league for how long? Ryan Kelly's been in the league for how long? Braden Smith's been in the league for how long? Like, I I don't think you view this offensive line and think, oh my gosh, there's these growing pains, and they have to gel together. Yeah, that's true. Like, I, I just, 
Richardson, a thing that he did really well at Florida was his ability to avoid sacks. And I would say probably the one word that Chris Bowden and Shane Steichen came back to most often the night they drafted Anthony Richardson was poise. That when you watch him play quarterback and the pocket gets, bless you, the pocket gets awkward and muddy and starts to collapse around you, Richardson didn't panic. And I think one of the guy that has such a rare running trait like him, I, I, I would assume that oftentimes when that stuff starts to happen, you do have a tendency to tuck it and to run it. But that wasn't always the case with Richardson. Is He would try and keep his eyes down the field, rely on his athletic ability, move in the pocket, be 6'4 and 240, and know that it's not easy to sack me, and try to make a play. And that is, I think, something that the Colts like to see. Um, I think another part of Richardson's rookie season, Jake, that's going to be really difficult, when you bring up those past Colts quarterbacks, or even David Carr, there's no precedent for Richardson. I mean, when you look at it, and you look at guys that walked into the NFL with such a poor completion percentage, what was he, 53, 54 at Florida? I mean, you're talking, and these guys were probably closer to 60 than Richardson was, but you're talking Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Daniel Jones, Jake Locker, and that's it. I mean, if you want to go back the last 10 to 15 years, those are the only first-round quarterbacks that had completion percentages under 60 entering the NFL. If you want to go to inexperience, it's Trey Lance of the world. It's a Mac Jones. It's a Kyler Murray. It's a Dwayne Haskins. Um, Mark Sanchez. Mitchell Trubisky. It, it, it's That list is a little bit longer. It's not a great NFL list, if you want to be truly honest, of guys that had such inexperience in college projecting them to the NFL. But when you combine those two, the lack of accuracy, the lack of experience, I feel like we're going to have such a difficult time trying to use past precedent with Richardson of like, oh, Peyton Manning did this as a rookie. You know, Jeff George did this, or David Carr did this. To me, Richardson is almost off on his own little island with how rare he is physically and then especially how rare his college experience was of just a one-year starter and being a 53% passer. By the way, Chris Chandler sacked 18, 21 times in two years. 21 times in two years. Chris Chandler was sacked when he first got here. He was a good player, but he wasn't, you know, he was a, a second-round pick. But here is my one concern. Concerns maybe the wrong word, but the thing I find fascinating about it there are a lot of things to be optimistic and energetic and excited about when it comes to Anthony Richardson as a rookie quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. A lot. He's big. He's fast. He's seemingly mature, has the right attitude. Um, it it seems, seems aware of what's at his feet. The, the only area... If you were to assess Anthony Richardson as a quarterback prospect, the only area, the only box that isn't checked is how he played. He, he, he was drafted because he's big, he's fast, he can jump, he can throw the ball far. What he wasn't drafted for was anything that he has shown on a football field. You can grow into that, I get that, and it's worth a flyer, I, but... He is somewhat of a flyer, admittedly, and and yeah, there's no somewhat about it. He is a flyer, yeah, and and it's going to come down for a lot of people. 
for a lot of people in that organization, it's going to come down to that. I thought James Boyd, when he joined us last week, had a really good line about Richard in the spring. He always seemingly had the best throw of the day, but consistently he probably wasn't the best quarterback of the day. Again, I don't think the gap was wide enough to start Minshew. I thought the gap was much closer, and that's not necessarily to say Richardson overexceeded my ex- expectations. It was that Minshew, I think, was just okay, if that. And, you know, to be fair, they were dealing with a lot of personnel that w- that was watching from the sideline there. But the question becomes, can Richardson string a little bit more together? Again, you don't need crazy consistency from him because he can flash the big play that you don't need methodical 12-play drives. But if you can get a little bit more consistency, continue to tap into the big plays, which he certainly showed in the spring, and that's not even with the running element alive and and able to use like you'll use it this fall, then you've got something. The funny thing is... The funny thing is, Gardner Minshew is the one that looks like Uncle Rico, and Anthony Richardson's the one that's there because they feel like he can throw football over the mountains. Yeah. And run like Usain Bolt. <laughs> that's right. That that helps too, right? Uh, Nate Atkins is going to join us on the other side. Again, uh, last week, I would say the majority... 8.30. 8.30. Thank you, Mark. Sorry about that. 8.30 for Nate Atkins coming up. Um most of us were kind of in the Jonathan Taylor media scrum about his contract situation. Nate was over with Michael Pittman, which to me, that's going to be an interesting one to see play out. Um, so we'll chat about that coming up at 8.30 with Nate and continue a look at Thursday night with the Pacers and the draft coming up. Trey Jackson Davis, Jalen Hood Shafino, where are they going to end up on Thursday night? Uh, we'll do that on the other side. Kevin Aquari here, 93.5, 107.5, the fan. All right, coming up Thursday night, you've got the NBA draft. Got to go back to what? The Zeller Oladipo draft for two IU guys to be going in round one? Am I missing a year in between then? And Let's Say that again? Now, two IU players in round one? Boy. Uh, well, Oladipo and Zeller, right. you said. I know you just said that. Um, Anything since then? I don't... I mean, Ananobi was by himself, right? Yeah. Well, Morgan wasn't a first rounder, right? Yeah. Was he late second, maybe? I don't know. I know that the in terms of the lottery... You know, the, the Pacers, or the, excuse me, Indiana has not had a lottery pick since who? They've is it, had. Is it Oladipo? Or Zeller? Uh, they've had one since then. It's an Oh, easy, is it Langford? Yes. What was He had to be like the last pick of the lottery. He was the last pick of the lottery. That's correct. And then Vonley was also a lottery pick. God, I forgot about Vonley. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're in the, and I guess apologies to people that totally discredit this stuff, but I do find it somewhat interesting when we get this close to the draft, Jake, and you kind of get into anonymous scout season. Um, Seth Davis from The Athletic uh, did a piece on some of the best prospects in the draft and did kind of the anonymous scout on these guys. This is what this guy had to say on Trace Jackson Davis. Quote, not a fan. He's an undersized five who's not a rim protector and can't be a switchable defender. He's going to have to get some kind of offensive package. Pretty good finisher, good size and strength. Not the most athletic, but good enough. Can he defend stretch bigs? I think he can facilitate your offense from the middle of the floor. He needs to become a consistent 15 to 17 foot jump shooter. At our level, if you can't shoot the ball, you have to be elite at one other skill. End quote. I mean, that sounds pretty familiar with stuff I've heard. Now, I also think, because that's here is the challenge for Trace Jackson Davis. 
the challenge for Trace Jackson Davis is what he does well, he does really well. And that is, he's very good around the basket with his feet. He's a very good rebounder, and he's a very good... I, I disagree. I think he is a decent rim protector, but that's against guys that are 6'9". You know, is he going to be that that way against... But, you know, anymore, big seven-footers are not down on the block post. I mean, I guess Joel Embiid is, but hell, Joel Embiid's on the three-point line as much as anything else. The, the challenge for Trace Jackson Davis is going to be that there are a lot of times where the guy that he is guarding is going to be getting the ball on the wing and doing a shot fake and making one move to get to the basket. And does Trace Jackson Davis have the lateral quickness away from the basket to be able to guard that player and stop him from driving? I, I don't dispute that Trace Jackson Davis can probably guard the rim when he is on the low block. But what about guarding people from getting to that point to begin with, if that makes sense? His... It's not about where Trace Jackson Davis, what he can do on the floor. It's about what he can stop the guy he's guarding from doing. And that, to me, is going to be the biggest question mark for him because he has not had to guard and protect the area of space that he is going to have to now at the next level. Would you rather have, moving forward, Isaiah Jackson or Trace Jackson Davis? Isaiah Jackson, two years younger than Trace Jackson Davis. Two years younger. Obviously, he's been in the league for two years now. So contractually, um, I think it's $2.6 million this year for Isaiah Jackson. That jumps north of $4 million than the following year. Then he becomes a restricted free agent. If you were the Pacers, would you bet on continued development of Isaiah Jackson at that price and that age? Or take a chance on Trace Jackson Davis? I would probably go with Jackson because he's – I think his athleticism is you can't pass on, and he's a known commodity. You you know what you're getting. I, I do think that Trace Jackson Davis – Kevin, we've all done fantasy football drafts, right? And in a fantasy football draft, there's always that one quarterback – that everybody in the room is thinking to themselves, like, I think this guy's going to have a big year and I'm going to take him and then I'm going to be the genius of my fantasy football draft. But nobody wants to take him, like, in the first three or four picks. And I think that there is the chance that Trace Jackson Davis is that player in the NBA draft where I think that when you get into the 20s, there might it is entirely possible there are GMs that are like, you know what, I, th- I think this guy's going to be a Draymond Green-type talent. But I don't. I wouldn't take him at twelve. But at twenty-one or twenty-two, like I might take him because I think people are sleeping on him, and I'm going to be the genius of this draft. I do think it's possible that he is that guy. And I, I think that you know Trace Jackson Davis. To me, I have always said, if you watch Indiana basketball, when Trace Jackson Davis runs down the floor, his gait. And I know that's such a weird thing to say. Although with Miles Turner, it became popular around here with draft prospects. But the way he runs in his gait and the way he swings his arms reminds me almost identically of Jared Jeffries when he was in Indiana. And I do think that Jared Jeffries was a guy that was a five-star player, you know, Mr. Basketball, comes to Indiana, takes them to the Final Four because he was the facilitator of that offense. Everything went through Jared Jeffries. He was like a sprinkler. You go into him and he can spray it around the arc to any of their shooters. And 
I think Jackson Davis has that potential. I think that's the kind of player he can be. Meaning, I'm sorry, that Jared Jeffries as a pro became a literally like a low post kind of defender guy. And Jeffries was a better wing defender. But he was not an offensive player in the NBA at all. And I think Jackson Davis can be that kind of a player, a situational player that on in the right situation is a key part of a team. Now, does that mean that he's going to fall to – I don't think he's going to fall to like 35, 40. I don't think he's going to sneak in at 19 like we talked about earlier, though. Um, on Jalen hood Shafino again, this courtesy of Seth Davis from The Athletic, anonymous scouts on NBA draft prospects. On Jalen hood Shafino, quote, mature and physical. One of the best ball screen guards in the draft. Streaky three-point shooter. I worry about his ability to get by people. He needs a ball screen to create an advantage. Not the best athlete, but he plays at a good pace and has a good feel for the game. I love his toughness and character. He's going to improve. He's going to have to improve on his decision making. He predetermines a lot of his decisions, especially coming off ball screens. When he gets around the rim, he doesn't have that pop to him. End quote. Um, I think that's a pretty good description of Jalen Hutchefino. Jake, to me, he's got a little bit more potential than, but to me, he's very similar with a little bit more potential than Malcolm Brogdon. I think Brogdon's a really good comparison because he's like a, he's just a, you know he, he's a he's a little bit more athletic Brogdon. He's like a strong safety at point guard. You know what I mean? And I think he can play a little bit off the ball. I mean, obviously that was the plan early in the year with Xavier Johnson, and you know I, I don't think ideally Indiana wanted to play him as many minutes as they had to play him at point guard once Xavier Johnson went down. But um, it seems like Jalen Hutchinson is a guy that could hear his name called in the lottery coming up. Uh, was Thomas Bryant a first rounder? That might be right. Jim Rollison mm. points out Thomas Bryant. So would he have a, been in the same draft as one of those guys? Was he with Ananobi? I mean, Thomas Bryant might be right. He, he might have been the first, the last pick of the first round. Forty second overall. Okay, so he was the second rounder. Yeah, we could probably easily look up the history of first round picks. I, Hood Shafino, to me, um, I, I think that he did rise through. All of the workouts and and things like that. I know that there was talk that he could go as high as eight. I think he's going to go. I would say Hood Shafino goes twelve to sixteen. Would be my guess. Maybe somebody takes a, a chance on him early, but I think twelve to sixteen. So Romeo went fourteen in twenty nineteen. Then in twenty seventeen, it was Ananobi and Thomas Bryant in the same draft, but Bryant was whatever that is, the twelfth pick of the second round. Uh, and then in 14, you mentioned Noah Vonley, went nine, and Cody and Victor, the last first-round picks together in the same draft, 2013. You had the same thing in 2008 with Eric Gordon at seven overall and DJ White at 29. Boy, DJ White, you completely forget about. Same with Noah Vonley. And in like two years, same with Romeo Langford. What about Kirk Haston at 16? <laughs> I think Hastings the one that was like I knew I wasn't like that good. But Jeffries whatever. at eleven. Jeffries was a good player. I and Jeffries was a better pro with New York and Portland than he was with Washington. I mean, Eric Gordon's easily the best NBA player besides Ananobi in the last. You know, going back to hell. Woodson Alan Henderson. Woodson is probably Indiana's most underrated NBA player. Henderson would be up there, and Isaiah is the only. I believe Indi- Gordon has still yet to make an All Star game, right? Sounds right. I believe Isaiah is the only Indiana product under Bob Knight to play in the NBA All-Star game. By the way, do you guys know about this um, 
this guy that decided that he was going to take a, a tube and go down to see the Titanic? I, I heard this, but fill me in more. So uh, essentially, this guy, some fella, I just saw a thing from CBS from like five years ago where this guy took like a septi tank and decided that he was going to turn it into a submarine and he, and he used like lighting from Camping World and it literally is a tube that fits five people where you just kind of sit huddled in this thing and it goes down 2.4 miles under the underwater to go explore you can see the wreckage of the titanic i mean i'm being obviously a little bit facetious but it seems pretty rudimentary um but it was invented by obviously somebody that i'm, I'm knows what they're doing but and well, i don't you would hope or i don't think we might not was, hear from them well i don't think that I, I don't know that this was the maiden voyage of this deal but there is a guy who is a billionaire out of london and he's one of these guys that he's paid to go up into space and he's paid he has like the record for the he already has the record for like the furthest ocean submerge he paid for that and at any rate he and the inventor of this uh cabinized pressure septi tank and like three other people were going down to see the titanic and, and I'm assuming they must have had flashlights, but they went down and then... Just use their iPhone flashlight, I think is <laughs> what I was told. Can you imagine if the battery, you, you get all the way down there and you're like, my battery's at 3%. Um, but it's now, they don't know where it is. They allegedly have the oxygen capability for nine, it's five people, and they have enough oxygen to last for 96 hours. But I think like they're missing now i i don't know I, I i mean i've i'm not jacques cousteau by any stretch of the imagination nor my jake cousteau but or columbus or columbus but i'm assuming that there's a decent amount of water pressure at 2.4 miles down underneath the you know at the bottom of the ocean and so my my worry quite frankly flippancy aside would be that the the water pressure alone what it could do to the capsule itself i mean i i don't know but i'm kind of shocked like we haven't had more of an organized effort to go down there on a somewhat routine basis you mean to go see it yeah i mean like you can i know it's not the same thing but you can climb everest uh, yeah but I, it's I just, such an iconic event I, I, and I, historic I landmark yeah i don't disagree with that at all kevin i just think that when you're talking about first off the water pressure alone Right, and so I'm basically getting at, like, if we haven't figured it out by now, Correct. probably not going to figure it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Totally agree. I mean, it's a Titanic, not, you know, a kayak and Geist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is called the Titanic, right? I, I mean, will they find the... I, my, I'm under the assumption this thing, but I hate to say this. How do I say it? Like, that the... That it is not in one piece anymore i'm talking about the little capsule thing because of the water pressure i mean i don't know i'm not like yeah. some nautical expert i wear a I, now i do wear an omega seamaster now this i don't know if you guys know this watch right here uh let me see what the the depth is there this this says that this can go uh what 300 meters how many times a day do you look at that thing do you think like do you literally look at your wrist and say okay 234 i well, c certainly on this program, about three times an hour. 
I, I don't know. Fairly often, why do you not wear a wristwatch? Remember last week, Mark, when he was like, "Yeah, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't even paying attention." Yeah. What did you just say? You asked him a question, then he basically <laughs> repeated the exact same thing. Yeah. No, that's. Uh, no, I I do not wear a wristwatch. I mean, do, do I. You, you wear it primarily for show? No, I wear it to see what time it is. You don't look at the phone or. I feel no, like watches are going kind of like the generational gap. I, I, I do happen. I, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. I, I think that a wristwatch is what, what's the age you think forty and above? Is that fair? Yeah, I might even go a hair higher, but yeah, I mean my my brother's what is he thirty eight? Yeah, I yeah I go maybe a little bit higher. Yeah, I got a watch for communion, and I I wore it a few times, and that was it. First communion, got a watch. Uh huh. A well, fossil how, watch. Oh, fossil. Those are big back in the day. Yeah, I mean, I think at one point, for Mark and I's age group, certainly. When I was in middle school, everyone had a Swatch. Everyone had a Swatch watch. Because, I mean, they were inexpensive, but they were, like, fashionable and cool. Everyone had a Swatch watch and a hypercolor T-shirt. And then when I was working at the cigar store in Broderpool, my boss told me about the Omega Speedmaster, which is the watch that was designed for the original moon landing. And I became fascinated by it. And I started reading magazines and books about watches. And I kind of got obsessed with them. And so I said at that point, when I am a professional adult, my goal in life is to buy myself an Omega. So there is, I think, to watch people a watch is more than just like to be able to tell the time and then it becomes this weird pursuit of like okay this is the next watch i have to get and i really like this kind of watch or that kind of watch pokemon cards similar i mean like you know i have 23 watches i i mean that's one third of your cologne selection (laughs) that's about right when we get to the colts first preseason game on august 12th where will the Reds be in the NL Central? Is this a tease? Don't look now, but here come the Red Lakes. I will say that they I will be... love my energy in that bit, Mark. Thank you. <laughs> we should write this down. August 12th, Colts at Buffalo. Anthony Richardson, first NFL preseason game. Greg Rakestraw, Rick Venturi in the booth. I'm going to say at that point, the NL Central... Milwaukee's going to be in the lead. Boo. I mean, I could be wrong in that, obviously. Um, I hope I am. I will say that St. Louis is in second. Oh, They're like a million back. What are you doing? They're eight back. Yeah. You look at your watch again. Have you guys not paid attention to the history of the St. Louis Cardinals? They're 500. Have you not paid attention to the St. Louis Cardinals? They're dead. The history? Cincinnati will be in third. Just doom and gloom here. Pittsburgh fourth and the Cubs fifth. Boy, Mark. Yeah. Go ahead and have one with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, you know you. what some are saying about this red spark. Since Carb Day, they're saying that I might have ignited this. With my effort on Carb Day, the Reds are 17 and 6 since Carb Day. Was it the Little Kings? That, that they, what happened? There, there is a rumor about the Ohio connection there. Well, was it listener Mike that delivered Little Kings? Yeah, was it no, yeah, you're right. I need to crack mine open. I still have two in the fridge. I need to need to try it. They are saying that there was, was what was I watching? Hold on, I was watching something yesterday. I, I almost rewound it. It was a what was I watching? It was a sporting event, and I'm like, oh, they showed the crowd. And I'm like, that guy is holding a little kings. 
Somebody was, was it drinking the Reds a, game. Were you watching the Reds game? It might have been. Somebody was holding a Little Kings. I'm like, look at that. Well, he snuck that one in there. Okay, see, I was gonna say, I can't I, imagine Great American Ballpark is selling Little Kings. I, I can't believe though that Kevin said that the beer was a 3.7. Yes, 3.7 bottle, outstanding. 8.2 on the bottle. Um, that that was a really cool scene last night when Votto got up to bat on a routine basis. That was pretty cool. I do feel like baseball has a little bit of nostalgia in that you, there's probably that guy like on every team that over the years everybody turns over. There's so much churn and burn, and then here's Votto still there. Wasn't there the rumor a few years ago that like Toronto was a buyer at the deadline and the Canadian and Votto yeah. was going to go uh-huh. play for the Blue Jays? And obviously his con- contract is you know through the roof. But well, I mean the, the dude's the been Reds there just, for 16 years. Yeah, and the Reds just weren't doing anything where they're kind of like, well, yeah, an old veteran, right. Probably could go somewhere else to a contender and, and compete. I think one of the coolest things I've seen with Joey Votto, and there have been a lot of very cool things in terms of his off-field or away from the X's and O's statistics area, was the game. I can't remember if it was was it last year or two years. It must have been two years ago when he was miked. Do you remember that? Yeah, well, he last was, year they did a ton with him when he was out, but miked on the field. Yes. Yeah. The, and it was... Who was it that got a base hit? I think they were playing Atlanta. Got a base hit. And, and I always was fascinated. I've always been fascinated by this. For some reason, I'm picturing Rizzo with him on first base. Watching, like when... when I've always wondered this. When guys get a hit and they get to first base... I, I, well, I think it was Acuna, was it not, that got a hit and they like said hi to each other. And Vado's like, hey, man, just so you know, like I'm mic'd up. And he's like, hey, what's up, everybody? And like leaned into Votto's chest because he knew where the mic was and was like saying hi to everybody. Don't I, tell any Oral Roberts jokes. You know, <laughs> I'm just telling you. But that kind of stuff, the nuance of the game of seeing the human side or just the everyday like little league side of players is what's fun. To see, I, I've always wondered that. When a guy gets a hit and they get to first base, I mean, do you talk to the guy that's the first baseman? Hey, man, what's up? Good seeing you again. Or I guess... Do they even know each other? Yeah. Major or is League it just Baseball's a- made a nice effort with that. You know, the All Star Game. How many you know different players are mic'd up right. w- w- with that? I think it's really important. I, I kind of like the little celebrations in the dugout after home runs. Now, you know, I feel like they've they've tapped into that a little bit more. And I think the Reds just have a fun makeup of all this youth and then the old dude in Votto. And now the Votto's back. I think it's I think it's a pretty entertaining product. And we'll see how long they can keep it going. I was going to say, I'm looking at their upcoming schedule after this Rockies series, and they're against the Braves, who are first place in the NL East, then at the Orioles, then home against the Padres. So they've got quite a few tests coming up to see if they can stay hot. And yeah, and again, 17 and 6 since Carb Day. I mean, at one point this year, they were 7 and 15. They had a six game losing streak where they were shut out in three of those six, and then the other three games, they scored one. Two and three runs, and at the it, time, well, where are you going to go? That's what we were playing. <laughs> You've been waiting, haven't I'm gonna, you? I'm going to break into that computer. Uh, hey, Jake, are you going to abandon being a Reds fan? Are you going to abandon following this team? Oh, that felt good to play. That's just bad karma, Jake. I'm 35 years old. I wear a different watch every day. No, there's now, our outlier. I wonder yeah. for how. What do you mean? Now I like this from a Derek. 35 year old that wears a different watch every day. That's absurd. Yeah, that's, Derek says, Jake, I've always wanted a tag watch, but now I have an Apple Watch. 
Yeah, but I, I mean, do you really count those as like watches? Like, because I think people mostly got it. They're not looking at the time for those. They're I, checking the their thing, steps and the all thing that. I've other never stuff. understood about yeah, the Apple, Apple Watch. Watch doesn't count as what Jake's wearing. Right. The thing I don't understand about the Apple Watch, and I've I've said this all along. What does the Apple Watch do that your phone does not? You get the Dick Tracy kind of phone that, that but i, mean, I like the people the that are thing. like well i don't i mean if i'm getting a text i don't have to reach for my phone i'm like it, it's it's like four inches further than your wrist i, I don't I, mean, I, I do think there's a convenience element of like boom you're just looking at it maybe you aren't bringing your phone into a meeting or something like that i i, I get that but it's very obvious when people you know like well it's less rude i'm like you're staring at your watch i mean it's you know my dad works right? at the apple store mm-hmm. i did know that yeah it's been his retirement how many um, now he's, what he's north of 10 years does now, he then. know what color t-shirt to wear each day yeah that is a big deal isn't that yeah the very color coordinated there how many how many Apple t-shirts store. does he have oh i would say near a dozen so is he like an expert on all things apple yeah i, I yeah I, I yeah i i would say so i i would also say he always is like yeah come visit me in the mall at, at the i'm like dad the apple store is a freaking zoo it is it's it's nothing against your dad but like, i'll just you, wave through the glass and keep on you the know, thing that drives me crazy is when you go in there and you're like yeah i just had a quick question and it's like well if you want to take a seat then you know R- randy will be with you here in a yeah. few minutes you're like, which one's randy and like well we put it in that you're the guy in the black shirt he's kind of the quarterback of it all does he get, is he going to check out the $3,500 like goggles oh, they have coming yeah, out? No. He's probably amped for that. Do you remember the... Um, it's a little deal, but I think on the new product, you don't get the deal. Do you, you remember the, the Google Glass? What was that one again? That was the I, thing. Michael Grady was the one that they were like using as the test balloon at Banker's Life or Gamebridge Fieldhouse. They had him wearing them. They were like the... The, the same thing the, the Apple glasses look like? Now. They were the glasses that... I, I don't even know what they did, but like they basically... You, you could... You moved around and people could see what you were seeing, and I'm like, uh, okay, I don't know exactly what the Google Glasses were supposed to do. I think it was called Google Glass, but it was a huge deal. And then that became, and then Google got into their own. What was their their answer to like the Microsoft Teams thing? Google Hangout was that what it was called? Oh yeah, yeah. Now that does that still exist? I that never know. really took off, right? Uh, from Brad Bow and blue shirts tomorrow. FYI, he was always. You know about the guy in where was it? Where was it? Where a guy and this actually, I'm not condoning it, but I've got to give at least credit to the to the creativity. Some fella, I think it was in. It wasn't Rex Chapman, and I'm not trying to be funny, but it was something along those lines. I I thought it was in Louisville, but a guy went to the Apple Store, saw what color T-shirt they were wearing that day, went to like Walmart, got a T-shirt of that color made like a little white apple on it, put it on, went into the Apple store and just went in the back storage room. and Because think about it, there's like 74 people that work there. Yeah. So you would, you don't know all your coworkers, right? So they're just like, oh, this guy's just, he just carried out like three boxes of stuff. He must be, yeah, I'm taking it to the Bardstown Road store. Okay. And he just walked out. I think there's a lot of attempts at fraud within the Apple store. Yeah, uh, You think? Yeah. A lot of attempts. There's there. always a bad apple in the group. No, oh, jeez. Uh, Nate Atkins going to join us in five minutes again. He caught up with Michael Pittman a good amount last week on his I can't pending believe contract. I didn't get more credit for that situation. Thank you, Mark, for that. Speaking of not paying attention, it's best to move past. Let's things. lead off the morning checkdown with Mr. Votto. The morning checkdown. Omaha, 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 Omaha. On 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. All right, 
for the first time in 10 months. It was the return of Joey Votto last night in Cincinnati. Quite the reception and quite the performance by him. A home run, a big two-run single as well. Here was Joey Votto last night on the crowd reaction. It was surprising. You don't expect expect that. You know, um, I feel the same way towards them, and for them to reciprocate for them to reciprocate means a great deal to me. It was a it was a, it was a memorable memorable experience, and uh, it was more than I would have ever expected. Joey Votto on Scott Van Pelt last night. Really? It's always a good sign. It's always a good sign, yeah. Uh, Cardinals over the Nationals 8-6 yesterday. It was the Tigers over the Royals 6-4. Cubs over the Pirates 8-0. Reds, as we just mentioned, 5-4 winners over the Rockies. Red Sox over the Twins 9-3. Diamondbacks 9-1 over the Brewers. And that is what facilitated for the Reds to now be in first place. Mets over the Astros 11-1. And Rangers over the White Sox among Major League scores yesterday. Uh, college baseball on the college side of things. World Series in college baseball. Two games set for today. I'm trying to pull them up right now. I believe one of them I know tonight is LSU and Tennessee. That game getting underway at 7 o'clock. And then this afternoon, I believe, am I correct in saying that it's Oral Robertson, TC, or no, Wake Forest, sorry. Um, hang on. My computer's on a smoke break again. TCU and Oral Roberts, indeed. You didn't uh, today, print out the logos today? Today, Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the thing. I didn't want to print anything. And Triple-A teams today. We, kill we, half we the state of Oregon. Started the College World Series with eight teams. Two have been eliminated, Stanford and UVA. So left Florida, Oral Roberts, TCU, Wake Forest, Tennessee, and LSU. Those are some blue bloods plus Oral Wake Roberts. Wake Forest is going to win the whole thing because their pitching staff is ridiculous. Yeah, they've been incredible all season long, particularly here in the postseason. All right, Nate Atkins from the Star on the other side to talk Colts. We'll do that next here. Kevin Corey, 93.5, The Fan. Six weeks away from the start of training camp. We should have an official training camp schedule in the next week or so. Again, kind of targeting July 25th, right around that time for things to begin at Grand Park to put a bow on the spring offseason program to help us out with that. Nate Atkins from the Indianapolis Star is going to join us here in just a second. A little bit of phone difficulties Adam and lost here. Um, again, Nate, last week, so much of us kind of scrumming around Jonathan Taylor around that contract talks with him. And I know Nate was catching up with Michael Pittman. So I uh, wanted to begin there with Nate. Nate, good morning. Thanks for the time. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. And, uh, uh, you know, as we still talk Colts, is they're out for the summer, but we're still hanging on and thinking about them for some reason i guess well you never know what these contract talks when things could kind of ramp up and how i think these conversations go really fascinating not only here in our market but i think league-wide um nate we were talking earlier in the show so much of us were around jonathan taylor last week with his rare kind of opening up a little bit more on his contract situation i know you caught up with michael pittman um, care to share anything on, on that front on how you think things could play out with Pittman as he currently is dealing with a hip injury heading into his contract year? Yeah, it was interesting to, to catch up a little bit with him the same day that, that Taylor kind of made those comments. Like you mentioned, we don't ever really see that out of Jonathan, but it was kind of cool and refreshing to see him show that side of, of what he was thinking and where he's trying to go. And I think it just really sums up how different their perspective is on free agency just with what their careers have been so far what their positions are what the markets are for those positions I mean you've got Jonathan Taylor there it felt like he was really speaking on behalf of the running back market the running back position and just the way that this is going where teams are finding ways to just sort of maximize the rookie deal and stretch it out and then kind of 
run their mileage up and throw them into free agency. So Jonathan is a guy who, like like almost all running backs, it seems, really wants the security, wants the deal like now to happen right now. In fact, it's probably not moving quite as fast as his camp would like. Uh, that's just kind of how kind of how that goes. That position when you hear from Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs and those guys too. Michael Pittman Jr. I don't I don't sense. I, well, I sense he's just really excited to have a contract year and to be able to have a new sort of chance at this. Where you know last year was a year when a lot of us thought he would take that step forward uh, from a thousand yard season to second year to last year when you just thought we, we thought they would have a little better quarterback play and just that, that that was his time to step forward as the number one receiver. And of course, last year was just so chaotic and he didn't play as well as he wanted to, but then the whole passing game was, was broken. So I think he knows that he really believes that he has his best football still out there uh, for this upcoming season. I, I think he's excited to really show everybody kind of what he can actually do, what his ceiling is. And that's what's different between him and Jonathan Taylor is Jonathan's had that year already. He had the year leading the league in rushing and by 500 yards and kind of every single metric you could look to. So his camp's able to say, like, this is how good it can be uh, when you kind of give us the right environment and when, when you can hit that ceiling. For Michael Pittman, he doesn't have that to point to yet. Just 1,000-yard 1, season. And I remember talking to him right after that season ended, uh, 2021, and he – he felt like it was a disappointment, but it did not live up to a lot of the goals he had set for himself for that year. Uh, things like All Pro, uh, I think at that year he, you know, he writes out all his goals, as you know, Kevin, and he, he laminates them. And that year he had, I think his, I believe his goal was thirteen hundred yards, and he had a thousand yards. So he has not reached uh, some of the levels that he thinks he's capable of, and I think he's he's just excited to have a chance this year to. Pair up with Anthony Richardson when when he becomes a starter, and even though it's going to be a challenge with a rookie, just the idea of having the same quarterback for you know you would hope up to 17 games or at least a high number of games, and be able to build that chemistry and then kind of be his his number one receiver. That's what Pittman ultimately wants to be and ultimately wants to show uh, the Colts and the rest of the NFL. So I don't think he's in any rush to to try to sign. Whereas I think Jonathan Taylor is much more in a rush you know what's interesting that i don't know that we've discussed to give it i guess perspective as the colts and jonathan taylor move forward in a contract situation here if the colts were to not re-sign him and let him walk or if they were to decide i don't think this would be the case but if they were to decide like we're going to trade him what's the market for him what is somebody else do you think willing to pay? Maybe we're going to find that out with Dalvin Cook here, right? But like, you know, we, we he's a wonderful talent. There is no doubt about it. But at the same time, if the Colts don't give him big time money, is somebody out there going to? Yeah, that's a really legit question. And I, I would ha- would have had a different answer before Dalvin Cook got cut. But now you have an option out there like, like him, who's who's waiting around and, and asks a lot of the same exact questions, and really two kind of similar players. The difference being that obviously Cook's a little bit older, a little bit more mileage, but two players who've shown just outstanding rushing ability. Maybe not quite the same level of dominant third down play, which very few of them show. But the couple that have gotten paid the most 
uh, Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey are great third down players. Those are the guys making 15 million or more. The type of player, type of you know, three down players that it gets harder and harder to say we'll go to the draft and just find the next guy to do that. But when you get down to guys who you know are electric, you know, specifically as runners, you know that is where teams I think start thinking a little bit more about just what they can control. You know, with their offensive line, their their scheme, their approach. Uh, you know, and, and how much is, is is it worth to pay that? Uh, you know, I think that with Jonathan, it's you know, it's it's just interesting that like the the fit's so important. So it's like, you know, if you were to hit the open market, I don't know if it's it it could be a matter where there's a team that just feels like it's closer to the doorstep of a championship. That that's the kind of finishing touch where you need a running back to kind of elevate you above that. Maybe the Colts. And maybe that's the difference that they don't quite look at it with that urgency, you know, but on the flip side, you know, maybe he's a better fit for a team, you know, with an Anthony Richardson where you need to be able to lean on somebody else on the offense to sort of, sort of get drives going and, and create explosive plays. That's not your quarterback. You know, I think about when, or you even just give a pace to the offense and take a lot of the pounding away from the quarterback. I think about when Dak Prescott stepped in as a rookie for the Cowboys, that's what worked out so well for him was having Zeke Elliott as a bell cow back. I think it really kind of eased him in and let him let them kind of grow that offense gradually around deck rather than have him drag the whole operation from day one. So if Jonathan was out there on the open market, I mean, normally I would say he's worth kind of what the Nick Chubb contract is, which is $12.2 million over three years. That's That's been the model that I thought fit Jonathan with, with how similar those two backs are and where the market's been. But right now we have just such a frozen situation with, you know, whether it's Saquon Barkley or, or Josh Jacobs not, you know, not wanting to sign franchise tags to Dalvin getting released. You just don't have the very recent uh, running back contract that's been handed out that they can, that you feel like is going to break the ice. And so I don't know if Jonathan just falls into that mix of, of guys waiting and, and waiting and waiting and waiting. Or, you know, if this is a situation where the Colts just decide, you know what, you know, we know what we have in, in this guy and, and we don't have that many players right now that we're looking to go out and extend and build around when they have money with a rookie quarterback. So uh, it, it is a fascinating conversation, though. Alongside Joel A. Erickson, he is Nate Atkins. They do a great job covering the Colts for the Indianapolis Star. Again, Nate with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Nate, last one for me on, on, on the Taylor-Pittman contract situations. Obviously, the guaranteed money for Jonathan Taylor is going to be the one to really, really look at. If you put that number to the side, do you think Taylor cares more about the length of the contract or the annual value on the contract? a good question you know i last week was the first time he really got into any of that so it's it, we're kind of judging on a small sample of kind of one interview where i feel like he's he's really opened the window into kind of what he's thinking on that i mean he talks about um it, yeah it's interesting he talks about finding the value and what he what he brings as a player and what he thinks that brings to the team that does strike me as, as someone who is concerned with the annual value is that that's literally kind of what he's talking about. It's sort of like the investment, the, the, the amount that they can recognize, like you bring this to our team and we're going to compensate it rightly. So I think that 
that is probably a little bit more in his head where, you know, everyone wants a, you know, a longer deal and, and the guarantees you mentioned are more what they'll look at is how much of the deal does it feel like, you know, do you feel like you have two years, you know, just about guaranteed or, or you're going to get that money uh, from there, it's like sometimes there's an onus on the player to you know to find his best ways to to take care of his body and and extend his career out, which Jonathan thinks about all the time, probably more than anything else, is ways to to manage his body and uh, and extend that life. And then of course, I think for him, if he's you know really a lot of these backs, the way they feel is that if they can get a multi-year deal where you have teams that are that are having to think about beyond this season, two, three years, what this player is going to look like because they're tied and guarantees uh, to that year of the player. That's where I think you reach a healthier conversation where, uh, you know, where the team's looking at things like how many carries do they give, you know, Jonathan Taylor versus another back versus Anthony Richardson versus, you know, how often do you get him the ball in the perimeter? How many, how many, you know, how many of those are passes that are a little, uh, less of a pounding on a back when they're invested beyond just this upcoming year. What they're not going to do is just run up the mileage till he's in the ground, and so it kind of becomes this shared responsibility between uh, the back and the team to try and manage this as best as possible so it ages well. That's where I thought Nick Chubb and the Browns got in a pretty good way is they they signed that deal, but they also signed Kareem Hunt, and they built it to where they wanted Nick Chubb to last really really well for the three years that they extended him for uh i think that kind of a mix though where it's it's not maybe the longest number of years but it's enough uh spread out and guaranteed and high enough rate to where both sides really want to keep this together that to me has felt like the best middle ground for jonathan nate let me ask you this before we let you go nate atkins our guest he's on the payless Sugars hotline it's like my daily question admittedly uh, when are we going to get any sort of an answer, explanation, elaboration uh, on Isaiah Rogers and that whole situation? Yeah, I've been curious about that too because you know the that report initially came out, and that was that was honestly before the Colts really knew a lot about the situation on their end. So it's it's still pretty early in the process. They're all still figuring things out. Um, so I think it's. I have no idea how to handicap when it's actually going to wrap up, but I did get the sense when I was looking into it uh, just a few days ago that it was not, you know, it wasn't like it was about to get, to get, you know, solved because there are other players that they're going to look at throughout the league. This is a league wide investigation. It's not like, uh, it's not like the Colts are, it's just them looking into one player and figuring out what they want to do with it. It's the league's going to look across, at all at different players that they're investigating, different players that end up meeting punishment, some guys you may have not heard of yet throughout the league. And they're going to kind of try to come up with a plan where the punishments make sense. So the punishment for Isaiah has got to align with, you know, punishment for another player based on, you know, the levels of gambling that they did or didn't do. And, you know, and, and making it so ultimately they're trying to send a message here where this stuff is still pretty new it's gambling is new and that's why i think some players are getting in trouble with it uh like jameson williams got in trouble with the lions for you know just placing a bet on a different sport but doing it from a a team facility it's it's trying to make some of these guidelines clear and also make it clear that you know there are different levels of punishment based on kind of how rampant the use is so uh i have no idea when that will come down with isaiah could be soon it could be way out uh but it's it's one of those that I think they're going to take 
really take their time on because it's sort of like on that topic of gambling, it's sort of like a bit of an inflection point for the league of, you know, this is going to be one of the ways where they really outline like what's permissible, what's not, and just how severe the punishments are. And that's where I think there's a chance if Isaiah, you know, if he, if he did as much as Ben's alleged, alleged out there that, you know, would, uh, sports handle had that he was and ESPN had this too, that he was placing up to, you know, up to a hundred bets. Uh, and, it, and if that involves NFL games, you know, this is what they have to work through. But that's where I think they really are going to try and come up with the most logical punishment that dissuades other players from even going down this road. So but I can't it, it recall. take a little bit of time. Pardon my naivete here I, I, because I can't recall. Has the NFL confirmed, have they issued statement to confirm that this invested, or are we simply going off of an initial report that then was followed up, and Isaiah Rogers himself confirming that he was involved, but yet nobody else has said anything. Am I correct there? Yes, that's how I understand it. Um, the NFL, I don't think this would have come out in that. Like, I don't think the NFL is going to release that he was part of an investigation because the other ones that that they've handled, it just the punishment just came down. Like with the Lions, uh, several of the Lions players, and that happened. It just it just came out what their punishment was. And I think it was that day or, or the day after that the Lions made moves on a couple of those players and cut them. So that's how the NFL wants to do it, where they just kind of swiftly move and drop the hammer and say, this happened and this is the punishment. Uh, but, you know, it just happened to come out through, you know, through a report by Sports Handle. And then so much noise was out there that Isaiah ended up, you know, putting a statement out that, and he didn't admit to all of it. So we don't know what the levels are, but he he did indicate that, that you know, he, he talked about making errors in judgment, and uh, he's that, that's kind of what we've been going off so far. Nate, last one for me, and Nate Atkins with the Star um, covers the Colts with us here on the Payless Lickers Hotline. You know, when you exit the spring, I, I feel like a, a takeaway I had quarterback-wise, and let's throw in the caveats of it's a spring, the sample size is small, they were missing a lot of their notable personnel from a pass-catching standpoint, but I didn't see some massive gap from Gardner Minshew to Anthony Richardson. And that's not to say Anthony Richardson set the world on fire. It's probably more that Gardner Minshew didn't set the world on fire. Um, and I also feel like if there's a time where you should see a big gap between the two, I would assume it would be in the early days of Anthony Richardson being involved in NFL practices and at a time where you know quarterbacks that run practices are not a great setting for them because they wear red jerseys there's not a whole lot of design runs you can't really blow you know plays dead you don't take them to the ground things like that so given that am I reading too much into it but I I I just exit the spring Nate saying like I don't see this huge gap therefore I, I continue to think that or I believe that Anthony Richardson should be the starter week one yeah, I think that's how it's played out to me is that, you know, there are moments where they both have their edge right now, which is just the one that makes sense. Gardner knows the playbook so well. He's played for Shane Sackett for two years. And so a lot of other players have talked about how he kind of brings everyone up to speed. And then sometimes they feel like he's moving too fast. They have to slow it down for everybody else. So part of it, I you know, there's a little bit of it that I think Gardner's been limited by uh, so what you're talking about the guys in and out, it's an incredibly young passing game, but then you also have like Michael Pittman Jr. is by far the most experienced and just about the oldest, and he hasn't been out there. So when you work with the first team, you know, there's been a few limitations there. What Gardner doesn't, you know, is, so he's incredibly operational. He, he looks smoother. He makes 
some of the better decisions that I think just sort of like post-snap decisions that Anthony has so far. But, you know, you don't see, you don't see the flashes of upside as much uh, with him. You know, he, he's, he takes a lot of the, the smart and safe plays and he runs the play as it's designed and, um, and does that pretty well. Anthony kind of makes up ground when he does have those moments of launching a ball, you know, 60 yards in the air and, and hitting a guy in stride as he did uh, a couple times there. Uh, you know, we, we see moments where Anthony, you know, even though, it's, like you said, it's incredibly limited for evaluation, but there are moments when he stops in the pocket and kind of launches his body weight from one platform to another and either throws the ball away or takes off down the field. And so you have these flashes where you could see that being exciting in a game in ways that Gardner doesn't flash on individual plays. So I do think they just have their strengths and weaknesses based on, on where they're coming from. It's the mix between, you know, the athletic upside and that potential of Richardson and just the, uh, the ability to call a game right now for Gardner Minshew. So I still feel like if, you know, if they had to play a game next week, uh, Gardner's got to be the starter because, because it is so new for Anthony, but Obviously, that's not where they're at. They're going to have training camp preseason to build up to it. And it's still in a place where I, I still think there's a pretty good chance we could see Anthony as early as week one. Because if he catches up on enough of this to where they feel like they at least can call a lot of the plays and they feel like you know, you know the offense is as caught up to him as they are to Anthony when, or to, to Gardner when they – you know, those guys have been in and out already. Uh, you know, that's why I think they may just realize, you know, this kid's going to get better by playing – these guys are going to get better with him by playing with him, and I think they want to get that going as soon as they can. Beautiful birds chirping in the background there, Nate. It's a nice ambiance there. I thought, <laughs> he said, um, like he's that. at Augusta. I was going to say. And it makes it sound like I'm out in nature, so yeah. hopefully that adds a little something to my wisdom. Waiting for Jim Nance to drop a hello friends <laughs> on us here on this Tuesday morning. Nate, enjoy the quiet time, hopefully somewhat quiet, between now and July 25th or so. And uh, we'll certainly catch up with you uh, before training camp starts in Grand Park. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. That's Nate Atkins right there from the Indianapolis Star. Again, on that Michael Pittman front, Jake, going back to that combo. If I'm Michael Pittman's agent, and let's say the Colts are like, hey, your your client is a number one wideout, I would counter with saying, let's list the quarterbacks that have thrown to my client and tell me what you've done with that quarterback the very next year. Oh, you moved on from each of them? My co- my my client has played with arguably the worst quarterback group in the NFL over the last three or four years. And has not been able to play with the same one two years in a row. Right. Again, you know, I'm not saying Michael that, Pittman's is top 10, top 15 wideout, but production-wise, he's been a top 25 wideout since coming in the league, and he's had awful quarterbacks. Kevin, you know one thing that, that I don't think that we have made enough of because I don't want to belabor the point because maybe it's it's too critical. But the Colts have now finally decided to go with a quarterback that is going to be presumably – this is the player they've selected as their franchise build-around quarterback. But the person who made that decision and selected him is the same one that thought that Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz, and I mean, Philip Rivers was a good player, but but thought that certainly in the last two, this is the guy that thought that Carson Wentz and Matt Ryan could play. Does that give you pause? 
Yeah, Those were know, terrible evaluations. Yeah, then you get in the debate of how much was Frank Reich the catalyst on Carson. Right, I get it. Um, I well, let's get into that a little bit more on the other side because I do think that's a good point that you bring up. Uh, we'll do some NBA draft conversation with Kyle Irving, not Kyrie, distant cousin Kyle Irving from the Sporting News coming up at nine thirty. We'll continue that Colts conversation on the, on the other side. Check. I thought that was a good question you brought up before the break on. How much worry should Colts fans have about Chris Ballard's quarterback history in regards to the draft pick of Anthony Richardson? You know, basically the misses on, I would say certainly Carson Wentz and Matt Ryan were so alarming. You know, should that give you pause with Richardson? I This might sound like I'm giving Ballard the benefit of the doubt here, but and I think Shane Sykin's presence, to be totally honest, has a lot to do with it. But I don't have like as much concern. I think drafting a rookie quarterback is so much different than hoping on a resurrection with Wentz because Frank Reich is here or hoping that Matt Ryan still had a couple of years left in the tank. Uh, that, to me, is a lot different than making an attempt at a rookie pick. And I'm just such a believer that you have got to build an NFL team this way. You've got to draft the quarterback. You've got to develop the quarterback benefit from that QB being on the rookie deal, which is pretty manageable for the first four to five years, continue to build a roster around him and see if you can set your franchise up for eight to 10 years of success. And that's what you've attempted to do. We will see if you do it again, the Shane Steichen presence, I think should give Colts fans a lot of reassurance that this could work out. I think that's the the big reassurance there, right? Yeah. The and, comfort level. And so that's why I think it's different than that. Cause to me, Jake, when I view like sports franchises, professional sp- franchises, I think if you are a fan of those teams, what you want is this window of annual opportunity. And that's what I think you're trying to do here. Can like for the NFL, for example, can you create a window in that eight year range where let's just play it out? In those eight years, let's say you win three division titles. You're a wild card team in two or three of the other years, and you miss the playoffs in the other two years. So that means in an eight-year span, you've started the playoffs with a home game three of those eight years, and in the other three, or I guess I should say in three of the others, you've made the playoffs. And I think if you can create those six playoff chances, that is a whole lot of fun to root for and cheer for and experience in your you know, home stadium. And you also have the ability to get on a run and you know win it all. And I, I, I feel like the fact that you've just attempted that is what you needed to do. I mean, I get the fact that with Richardson, there are things about him that are so unique that you just you couldn't you couldn't pass on it, right? I, I mean, I get it, but pass is kind of the key word there because that's that's what we got to find out. I mean, yeah, I'm kind of stealing a phrase from one of their scouts. Morocco Brown, who said this in the uh, that with the next pick series that they do, you know, picture you're, you're you're squeezing all the juice out of the orange, and in Richardson's case, you don't need to squeeze all the juice out. Like he 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 has so much in there is what you think, but he's so talented that as long as you get enough of it, you can still have a pretty darn good quarterback, and that's what I'm kind of getting at when I've mentioned before. 
you don't need Philip Rivers seventy one percent passer. Right. Drew Brees seventy two percent passer. You can live with sixty two or sixty three because you know within that he's going to make the big plays that can make up for the oh you've dink and dunked a six yard an eight yard a four yard gain. Oh no, you just hit a thirty two yarder, or you just took off for nineteen on a third and seven. You know what? Which will be a higher number? The number of rushing yards that Anthony Richardson has this season. Let, let's say Richardson starts week one. Higher total. The number of r- rushing yards that Anthony Richardson has in this season or the number of rushing yards that Jonathan Taylor's replacement has in, in his first year if Taylor were to go elsewhere. Okay, so give that to me one more time. Richardson's, so Richardson's yards rushing as a total runner, this year. Okay, or... or the re- Zach Moss's yards if Taylor were to leave for correct. some reason? No. Give me Anthony Richardson all day. I mean, really? he may. Yeah, I, I could see him running for 800 yards, mm-hmm. right? Right, but I mean, could Zach Moss run for 950? Not if know. Richardson's running for 800, because then you got to pass the ball too. I think about that offensive line, yeah, possibly I, I, breaking I down. I do think with a Richardson presence, I, you know, we'll see how this offensive line plays. But I think you have an ability to be a top 10 rushing unit. By the way, th- this headline here from CNN uh, on these fellows that went down in the septi tank to go see the Titanic, it says, vessel passengers may face dwindling oxygen levels and cold. I- well, that seems kind of obvious, right? <laughs> I mean... Do we I, get I, a little I, more detail I, in the story? I, I, it, the missing submersible was headed to the Titanic wreckage, which is 13,000 feet below the surface. They have between 70 and 96 hours of life support oxygen. Uh, kidding aside, can you imagine like that would be you got five people inside that little capsule. Can you imagine the that is literally like the most torturous situation I can possibly imagine. Like can you imagine all it takes is one of those five people to go in to have like a hysterical breakdown. Yeah, I'm not a big claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be horrific. Now, I would assume, and, and I, I, again, if there's no oxygen that far down, like I'm assuming that this thing must have must have had some sort of self-contained oxygen unit, obviously. But if there's, do you basically does everyone basically fall asleep? Is that what happens when they're kind of like the Payne Stewart plane airplane thing? As opposed to like, I mean, can you imagine if you just like were left down there where you just had to, over the course of, you know, starve? I, I, I mean, what would, no yeah, way, it right? It sounds horrifying. Yeah, no way. I, I I would try to, wouldn't you try to break yourself out? Patrick says they're bolted in from the outside. Yeesh. <laughs> well, and then if you're breaking out, aren't you like, I mean, you're on, you're got a lot of water pressure, right? So that. Getting out isn't going to do you much good. Well, yeah, you're right. It would be impossible. That's what, but I'm saying you would naturally. I mean, obviously, it's got windows, right? Uh, wouldn't you naturally like your hysteria be to try to break the windows? Yeah, without your body's fitting through there, though. Attempting to do that and the success of doing that That's are probably a fun two conversation. I, I mean, yeah. the whole. I hate to say it, the whole thing is kind of fascinating, though, right? You see, it was getting like. It, they're using like a PlayStation Three controller to oh, yeah. run the whole thing. I mean, the thing like looks like it was put together literally by like a 
I mean, the thing that a operates science is, for a project. The thing that operates is literally a thirty dollar controller you can buy on Amazon. Two hundred and fifty thousand dollars it, it costs for the fellow to go down there per person. Oof. Like, how long was this trip supposed to be? Do we know? It said two and a half hours it takes to go. That seems weird. Two and a half hours to go two two miles. Well, I think you're going at you're not going down there at like a hundred miles an hour. You got to do a steady decline and it was simply just pressure. to like observe and then come back up i guess it was just to go down and say you did it i i guess was that the same thing that james cameron was in when they were like viewing the wreckage back when he was filming the movie is it the same kind of thing he didn't actually go down did he yeah the pictures of the controller yeah. are wild <laughs> totally no, Wait, telling you, it's a 30 dollar playstation 3 controller there, there is a video that's out there from like several years ago. The guy that invented this thing and put it together, and I, I, I'd like to. Is this the maiden voyage of it for this particular unit? But the guy that put it together, like, had CBS. He gave him like a little tour of it, and it was like, yeah, this is a huge no bueno, right? I mean, honestly, yeah, it's I don't like, think you convinced me it, to go down. It, it literally is like a steel Tylenol tablet that they went down in. I'm like, were they just like sit? I mean, there's no seats, right? Just sitting, like floating around. Chris Kevin, Cross, Chris Kevin, applesauce. Has, Kevin has a look on his face of completely incredulous. Jake, I, the Pacer player who will watch the draft on Thursday night with the most uneasiness about his future. Um, probably Jalen Smith. Maybe Isaiah Jackson. One of those two, right? Not Chris Duarte. Ooh. Well, Duarte. The thing is, it's not necessarily Duarte's position that they're about to draft, theoretically. Yeah, I could just mean, you know, does he get moved? Yeah, I mean, yes, he he would. Like, who's got a brighter future of the Pacers right now? Isaiah Jackson or Chris Duarte? Same draft. Um, I I would think, I would think actually Jalen Smith is the guy that, that, kind of seems to be the odd man out which is weird because remember a year ago we were having a party when they re-signed him well, he's a starting four but, but isn't it weird though kevin like it just feels like duarte it's an automatic like you don't even think about duarte you almost forget he's still here totally yeah i go back to kevin pritchard's comments at this, when the season ended he was and you know kevin pritchard's a, i think pretty candid in a lot of these media sessions and he just kind of opened up and talking about that they uh, tried to make two big splashes at the trade deadline. And I keep on coming back to those comments and thinking, okay, now it's the offseason. The Pacers continue to be in a great position from a draft pick standpoint, cap standpoint, all of those things. Kevin Pritchard has proven his career to be pretty aggressive. Do we see something very aggressive in the next 48 hours? I mean, I... I he shared that. Part of me is like, is he just telling that because he wants Pacers fans to know that he's trying to do things? Um, but I do think there's a genuine nature inside that building of like, hey, we're a lot closer than we thought, or we've sped up this rebuild a little bit more. Is this our opportunity to pounce on that? Right. You, you don't have five draft picks next year. You probably aren't going to be in the lottery. This is probably the last big off season to do something crazy sounds like you know, it's maybe not with the best train of thought, but to do something of major significance, the next 48 hours is probably it. I mean, 
I'm in the minority here. I it, it, I almost feel like I'm on an island. I, I think, and I know Kevin Pritchard's precedent is that he's pretty aggressive when it comes to trades. I think they're going to draft seventh. I don't think they're going to trade it. I think they think they can get a good player at seven, and they're going to stick there. And then, is Duarte somebody that could be moved? It, probably in, a, in another move, but I don't know what his value is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't think he has much value. I, mean, I don't know. Do you view him like Jalen Smith was viewed coming from Phoenix to Indy? Do you view him like Aaron Neesmith was viewed leaving Boston coming to Indy? Or like TJ Warren was, I, you know, when they got him from Phoenix? Yeah, the to, former late lottery pick that has shown a little but not a lot and I kind think, of a logjam. I think the concern for uh, about Duarte, and I feel bad for him because he was a really good player. You know, something just happened. I don't know whether it was confidence, whatever it was. It's just it's kind of gotten away from him. But injury was a little bit of it too. But I do feel like he might have the reputation league-wide as the proverbial, as I always call them, the 2025 guy. A guy destined to score 20 on a 25-win team the rest of his career. Like like he had that good rookie year, but they didn't, you know, it didn't didn't mean they won any games. You know what I mean? Somebody had to score. You rather have Grady Dick on the Pacers or Jalen Hood Shafino? Uh Grady Dick. Jalen Hood Shafino, I, I know these kind of a point off combo guard. Uh, but Grady Dick better fits what they need. My only concern with Grady Dick is I don't know who he's going to guard. I don't know if he can guard me. Uh, not a lot of people can, but I, I don't know that he could. Yeah, I would be okay with a Grady Dick in the middle of round one if you package those late first rounders. Move up. What if they take him at seven? No. Nope. You got to have a defensive-minded rebounding focus with this. Again, Jarris Walker and or Taylor Hendricks be totally good with it. We mentioned a little earlier in the show, Jonathan Gavoni of ESPN reporting that, you know, Jarris Walker, I think in his latest mock, he had him going five. That's the highest I've seen him. Uh, basically, the difference, I think, in Walker and Hendricks, Hendricks is probably the better shooter. Um, Walker, you know, a little bit of a kind of a thicker body type, not the shooter, maybe a little bit better of a passer, facilitator within kind of the half court. Um, I think with Hendricks, you've seen kind of some poor mans like Jaron Jackson Jr. comparison. Um, you know, maybe kind of a similar uh, similar body type in a way to Miles Turner, um, whereas Walker, I think, is just 6'7 and 230 pounds. And both of them, I think, are very interchangeable on the defensive end, which is what you like. Um, so I... I I would be good with both of those two. I just was kind of under the assumption that both of them would still be there at seven, but we'll see if Walker hears his name called a little bit earlier. It's draft week, and we haven't done a tankathon yet to see what. Stand by. Say no more. Well, I'm just saying. I mean, we've done it. We're just printing logos instead. (laughs) Speaking of which, which one do you guys want? I got. I I couldn't throw them away. Where's the flame? Didn't you promise me a flames hat? Yeah, and then Mark, you get a hat of the Minnesota Wild. Wild, yeah. Well, we get paid in three weeks, and I'll, I will buy that for you guys. Uh, here we go. <laughs> With the seventh pick in the 2023 NBA mock draft, the Indiana Pacers select Jarris Walker from the University of Houston. There you go. Okay. Will you read one through six? Actually, you know what? I, I I just hit Sim Lottery, and it's still doing that. Hold on. On the mock draft. That doesn't make any sense because we now know the order. 
Well, I, I guess are they changing names? So now I got to sit here and click all the way through. They are changing names, yes, depending on on where teams are selecting. Hang on, I keep, I got to keep going. Okay, here we go. Uh, well, again, this has Victor Webamyama going first. Well, there's a shot. Well, that's breaking. You can't get the breaking news alert on that Scoot one. Scoot Henderson going second. Brandon Miller third. Uh, is it Amen or Amen? Thompson uh-huh. going fourth. Cam Whitmore fifth. The other Thompson, Asar Thompson sixth, and Jarris Walker seventh. So it has the Pacers bypassing Taylor Hendricks. Where's Hendricks? Where's Dick? Where's uh, uh, Grady Shafino? Dick is 12th. Jalen Hood Shafino 20th. Ooh. Is that very updated? Yeah, I know. This seems this seems a little bit uh, outdated. You know, I, Tony East we had on yesterday, and he brought up the name Anthony Black, a guard from Arkansas, probably a little bit more of a playmaker. <clears throat> and I think I asked Tony the question of, like, you know, who is a name at seven we haven't really talked a lot about that you think should be in play? Or if you took needs off the board, and he mentioned him, that gets back to the question I've asked for the last couple of weeks now of, okay, is it best player available or is it best fit at the best player available? And that, I think, is a really interesting debate because if you are of the thinking, Jake, that, hey, this is the last time we're going to be in the lottery, guys, for years. This is, I mean, we want to be a winner next season and our goal is to be out of the lottery. Then do you view this as the final chance to swing for the fences? Because if you view it in that light, then you probably get away from a Jarris Walker or a Taylor Hendricks. Going with, by the way, a more updated and legit Yahoo Sports latest mock draft. Okay, this is from Kristen Peake, friend of the show, and Gary. Um, Dog Gary, not Gary Harris. That's right. Obviously, Webman Yama number one, right? She has Scoot Henderson two, Brandon Miller three to Portland, then Eamon Thompson four, Cam Whitmore five, Asar Thompson six, and again, Jarris Walker seven to the Pacers. Now she also has she has Hendricks going ninth. I'm looking she has Grady Dick going eleventh. And I'm looking to see where Hood Shafino she has Hood Shafino going thirteenth to Toronto. What I'm looking at is Hood Shafino going fourteenth to the Pelicans. See, that's also pretty good, right? I mean that's a little bit higher than I uh, it does feel like he has moved up a little bit throughout you know, quote unquote the process. Trace Jackson Davis twenty fifth to the Grizzlies. She has Trace Jackson Davis. Uh, she has Ben Shepard, the guard out of Belmont, going 26th to the Pacers. She does not have Trace Jackson Davis, it appears, in the first round. Yeah, I, She has him going 32nd to the Pacers. I heard from someone in Trace's family yesterday that um, he has heard as high as 19 to Golden State. Seems a bit too rich for my liking, if I were a Golden State fan, but... What's what you have out there? Uh, care to guess Scoot Henderson's real first name? Uh, Scott. Mark. Uh, David. I, I I don't. David Henderson. Yeah. Uh, Sterling. Oh. Sterling, yes. Sterling Henderson. Oh. You know, I actually he borrowed my ascot for a party at Harvard. Sterling Good Henderson. Lord. He's got a suite at Wimbledon coming up here. <laughs> Sterling <laughs> Henderson. Right. Wimbledon. Yes, that's correct. You ever been? 
I would love to go to Wimbledon. That is a bucket list item for me. Never been. When are you sending the pop quiz questions? Mark and I have sent ours. Yeah, we've done ours. Oh, I just uh, no. I'm just, I'll just read my three, and you oh, guys that's good. Then we have no idea if they're right or not. Good. Oh, well, I know. When are we doing the pop quiz, though? Uh, pop um, quiz is going to be after Kyle Irving. Kyle Irving going to join us here in about ten. Sporting news. Talk a little bit NBA draft. Um, let's do a morning checkdown before that. The morning checkdown. Omaha, 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 Omaha. On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. The hottest team in baseball, Mark. Chew up the clip. Oh, you know what? I can't find Oh, them. my I'm, God. I'm, don't, don't look now, but here come the Red Legs. Joey Votto last night made his 2023 debut, and it was a pretty special one for him. Outstanding atmosphere, Great American Ballpark. Votto went yard, a big two-run single in the sixth, and the Reds won 5-4. That is now nine in a row. It's their longest win streak since 2012, which happens to be the last time they won the NL Central. And Jake, look at them now. June 20th and atop the NL Central. Don't look now, but here come the Red Lakes. <laughs> Unbelievable. Here we go. Uh, Cardinals over the Nationals, 8-6. It was the Tigers over the Royals, 6-4. Also winners yesterday, Major League Baseball. Cubs blank the Pirates, 8 nothing. As we mentioned, Reds over the Rockies, 5-4. Diamondbacks, 9-1 winners over the Brew Crew. The Giants, 7-4 winners over the Padres. Indians back at home this week. Uh, doubleheader tomorrow. For the Indianapolis Indians, I feel like in terms of the sports world, there's like not a whole lot. Uh, the draft is coming up Thursday again. Pacers seven six twenty nine. It's why we're talking about the sub vessel. Thirty two and fifty uh, eight o'clock. The NBA draft starts on Thursday. The Fever begin a Western trip coming up at Thursday is their first game four in a row out west for them. And I guess the College World Series. I I, I mean I don't get me wrong, I'm a compassionate human being. But am I wrong that there are, are some people that are going to read that story myself? Am I wrong when I read that story of kind of thinking to myself, like, what did these guys expect? Yeah, I think that is, that's a fair statement. I mean, you're going 2.4 miles below the ocean's surface. I like the guy that described it. He said it takes two and a half hours to get to the floor of the ocean, the last 40% of which is completely pitch black and you have no idea what's around you or what kind of currents are down there yeah sign me up for that yeah. hard pass there's a guy that there's a video of a guy that said he did it before and you have to sign obviously a waiver that says you could die and he's like yeah they talk about death three times on the first page i'm like yeah that'd be that'd be a big no-go i think again it's such an iconic why do you have to sign our- a waiver that you might die is it so that if you do die you don't sue them yeah piece of our history you would think after a hundred years people have attempted this and if it was <laughs> determined to be somewhat safe or manageable or like everest you would think we would have something in place for it that's a very good way of saying and hell i mean look how dangerous mount everest is how about on mount everest when the people climb it it's like now when you get to the frozen guy in the red jacket that's where you hang a left they're literally are like landmarks that are like frozen guy in jacket yellow boot man the videos I see of Everest are just like lines of people trying to climb. Like, I did it! It's like, yeah, so did 800 other people behind it, it, you. Uh, I, I thought I read something a few weeks ago. It was like one of their deadliest years in a while. Really? Yeah. What, couldn't you just take like a helicopter to the top of Everest to have it drop you off and be like, okay, I'm good, and then take off again? It's not kind of defeat the purpose of what you're trying to attempt. No. If you it, can afford a helicopter to climb Everest, you're probably can afford to go in a you, you sub vessel. You get the, the selfie and you get back on the chopper, you're gone, and nobody knows the difference. See you later, losers. We'll talk some NBA draft. Kyle Irving, Sporting News, Facebook coming photo. up next. 
All right, we're going to push the pop quiz to the end of the show today because right now on the Payless Lickers Hotline to talk more about Thursday's NBA draft. As his Twitter profile says, he is not Kyrie Irving. He is Kyle Irving from the Sporting News, and he joins us here on a Tuesday morning. Good morning, Kyle. Morning, guys. I appreciate you clearing that up right and early. Yes, yeah, good to get that. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you want to be associated with that. Um, so I'm glad that we were able to get that out of the way. Uh, what's the dumbest NBA draft take you've heard here over the last few months? <laughs> Actually, yesterday I read something that said uh, the Hornets are leading towards Brandon Miller, but we have no idea where the intel came from, and no one can find like where it ap- appeared on the rumor mill. Um, and when I read that, I was like, that just, I, I read something and didn't learn anything whatsoever. <laughs> what, what would you do it to if uh, the new ownership group decided to hire you and said, all right, uh, you make the pick that's going to largely shape our franchise for the next decade? I mean, I would actually take Scoot Henderson. I'm a huge fan of his. I think he's the second best prospect in this class. I just think he works so hard. Um, basketball is the most important thing in his life, and he is going to work his butt off until he is one of the best point guards in the NBA. Uh, so even with some of the shortcomings that he has, I really believe that he's going to be the second best player in this class. And is it safe to say, if that were the case, Kyle, that Brandon Miller does not fall further from third, right? Yeah, Brandon Miller seems like a, a top three pick no matter what. Him and Scoot Henderson are both still jockeying for that number two spot with the Hornets, it seems like. But, um, you know, he's an incredible talent as well. He just has, for me, he has to develop a little bit more as an on-ball creator. Um, he does a lot of his damage just catch and shoot. Uh, he still has to work on his handle. But, you know, he's the type of versatile wing that you can't really pass on him outside the top three. So tell me if this is a, a fair assessment, Kyle. You have probably franchise level players in the top three of the three that the two that we just mentioned and then obviously Webmiyama. And then from like four to probably twelve to thirteen, you have guys that seemingly are going to be good pieces that you can plug in in different places over the course of time. And then from about fourteen on it's I'm not gonna say flyers, but a lot less certainty and that this is a draft that doesn't necessarily have long haul depth. Am I within the range of accurate? Yeah, that's. I would say that's within the range of accurate. The thing that I like a lot about this draft class compared to other draft classes that I've covered is that you know everybody has different opinions on the prospects in that like four to fourteen range. Um, you know, just in terms of how they project and can they be stars? Can they be complementary role players? Um, and I, I kind of feel like there are some players that are like one tool away from being able to, you know, get to that next level of, okay, maybe he's a, a solid starter, but if he, you know, refines this one area, then he become, he become an all-star. Um, and then when you get into that later first round range, I think there's actually a lot of talented upperclassmen who are kind of ready to make an impact on winning teams in that range, like anywhere from 25 to say 35. Um, but again, like, you know, there's a lot of guys in this class where it's like, all right, they have one real big swing skill, and if they can figure it out, then maybe they can get to that next level. Okay, more likely, Jalen Hood Shafino sneaks his way into the late lottery, or Trace Jackson Davis falls out of round one and falls into the mid 30s. I like the idea of Jalen Hood Shafino sneaking into the late lottery. Um, the Raptors are a team that I've had him mock to uh, in every mock draft that I've done, pretty much. And they actually just, their new head coach that they just hired is like a basketball savant on the pick and roll. And I just feel like that would be a fantastic fit for Jalen Hood Shafino, especially if. Fred Van Bleet's not going to resign there. 
So I actually really like his odds of potentially ending up in Toronto at 13. Okay, Trace Jackson Davis, you see him where? Trace Jackson Davis, I actually like him going to Indiana, like at the end of the first round. I mean, I just feel like that they could use an intelligent small ball five there. I mean, I don't know. They're, they're probably not going to use all five of their picks, but if they do decide to hold on to one of those late first rounders, I don't, I don't mind the idea of Trace Jackson Davis staying home in Indiana and playing that small ball back at five roll. Interesting. Boy, that would be quite the talk show for us come Friday morning. So uh, thank you for that, Kyle, if that does come to fruition. Again, Kyle Irving is with us here from the Sporting News, covers the NBA draft. Um, Kyle, I've said for the last few weeks right now, if you look at the Pacers at 7, I would be totally content on Friday morning if the Pacers took Jairus Walker or Taylor Hendricks. What do you like? What do you not like about those two? I'm sorry, did you say you you would be upset or wouldn't be upset? I would be content. I, I, I would be oh, a geez. fan of either Jairus Walker or Taylor Hendricks in a Pacers uniform. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, uh, Jairus Walker, um, Taylor Hendricks, and, I mean, Cam Whitmore, if he can fall there, those are the three guys that if they fall to number seven, Indiana takes them without blinking. Um, I'm a huge fan of Jairus Walker. I think he's the most versatile defender in this draft class. He's a freak athlete, uh, super powerful down low. He's someone that has some playmaking touch, can step outside, knock down the three. Um, you know, I, I just really like what he brings to a defense. He was really the anchor of that Houston defense this past season. That was one of the best defenses in all of college basketball. Um, Taylor Hendricks is someone who, you know, he kind of came on a little bit late in the draft process, but it's, it's, a, it's impossible to ignore the tools that he has. Six foot nine, seven foot wingspan. He shot almost 40% from three point range. Uh, you know, he's that typical kind of stretch four, three and D big man that, you know, everybody's looking for in today's NBA. Um, I, I don't think it would be a reach at all if Indiana took him at seven. He's the type of player that fits perfectly in today's NBA. And, you know, it kind of surprised me that he's dropping, you know, even outside like the top 10 in some of these uh, mock drafts that I'm seeing. You've mentioned, or you, you mentioned us, Trace Jackson Davis in that range of 26, 29, 32. Again, the Pacers have those three picks 26 and 29 fall in round one. 32 is that early round two. Obviously, the Andrew Nemhard pick last year was outstanding in that range. I know that's not a given on an annual basis, but who are some other names in that late first, early second that Pacers fans should keep an eye on? Uh, in t- around 26 right now, I have Brandon Poshemsky, who is a huge riser from the NBA Draft Combine uh, out of Santa Clara. Just a very savvy playmaker. Uh, shot 40% from three-point range. Could be a catch-and-shoot guy, but also kind of a secondary creator um, that I kind of like for Indiana to add to their backcourt there. Um, another player that I'm keeping an eye on is Dukes Dariq Whitehead. He's someone that he just, I mean, he was one of the best prospects coming into college basketball. Some people had him as the first college player taken off the board this year before he suffered a foot injury and then he suffered a knee injury and then he had another foot injury and he just had a second foot surgery going through the draft process but like the talent is clearly there he's a freak he's another one very good athlete you know he knocked out a lot of his threes this past season he's kind of kind of a three and d wing who i think that if he you know because of those surgeries he could fall a little bit later but teams that are willing to be patient could kind of strike gold with him late in the lottery um another player that i really liked he was another, uh, you know, budding prospect at the NBA Draft Combine. Is Olivier Maxence Prosper uh, out of Marquette? He's kind of more of an upperclassman. He's a junior who's really worked on his game, but he fits that mold of like, you know, just a long, rangy wing can defend multiple positions. He works his ass off on every possession. Uh, high motor. Um, he's an improving three-point shooter. 
Um, so, you know, he's someone who I, I also like the Pacers. If they're looking to go a little bit older and try and get this rotation, uh, you know, to form faster, uh, he's someone that I like at the back end of the first round as well. So where do you think, when you look at it, Kyle, Kyle Irving's our guest from Sporting News. He's on the Payless Sickers Hotline. Every draft, no matter what sport it is, every draft has that one franchise that all of a sudden goes rogue and it throws – everything into a tizzy in terms of like whoa now this just took a totally different direction because no one expected that player to go there that would be either what player or what era or, or what area of the draft that it could happen this year I actually think it could happen as early as two I mean you know so I think a lot of the Zion Williamson rumors are just kind of smoke screens but you know I mean it seems like the Pelicans really are uh determined to get into the top two and try and draft Scoot Henderson whether that means they part ways with Zion Williamson or Brandon Ingram, I don't know if they would actually do either of those things. But I think it, it could the KF could start as early as two, but uh, as late as number three, the pick right after that, just because you know it doesn't really seem like the the Portland Trailblazers are determined to pick uh, make a pick at number three. It seems like as of right now, they still want to try and build around Damian Lillard and keep their superstar happy. So it wouldn't surprise me if they're listening to calls and seeing you know okay, who are some of the best rotation players out there that we could put around Dame and just ship out this number three pick that we don't even really want if we're going to try and keep him happy. So, you know, I think that after number one, Victor Wembanyama goes, I think that the chaos can commence as soon as number two or three right after that. Kyle, am I seeing this right in your Twitter profile? And it's Kyle Irv, I-R-V underscore. Uh, you do some content for NBA Canada? Yes, I do. Yeah, okay. that's actually part of our affiliation over at the Sporting News. Gotcha. So, I, I you know... I have a man crush, full transparency on Benedict Matherin. Uh, any sort of Benedict Matherin thoughts from what you saw from him during his rookie season here? I know we brought up Nemhard earlier, another Canadian, but uh, any Matherin thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Benedict Matherin as well. I thought he was one of the most competitive players in the draft last year. Uh, and, you know, I had, I had the privilege of speaking to him at the lottery and just all the things that he was saying just made me, you know, even more convinced that he was going to be the player that he ended up being during his rookie year. I think he's still you know, growing as a prospect on the defensive end. I think he's going to eventually work in, you know, some uh, a heightened playmaking ability. Uh, he's not just going to be such a straight-line scorer the way that he was this past year, but, you know, I was extremely impressed with the way that he started the season uh, in Indiana this past year, and I think that, you know, the ceiling is uh, still higher than what we've seen for Benedict Matherin, for sure. You know what? you got to be huge in Canada because there's also a Kyle Irving that's the co-owner of one of Canada's largest production companies, Indigenous-owned Eagle Vision. Did you know that? No, I do not, man. I cannot. I can't even get my own SEO right. I, people are going to be looking me up and find out stuff like that, or you mean Kyrie Irving? It's pretty awesome, <laughs> Kyle. Great, great stuff, man. Really, uh, really enjoy catching up with you. I know it's going to be a busy Thursday into Friday for you, so appreciate you hopping on. Yeah, of course. Anytime, guys. Thank you, Kyle Irving from the Sporting News. There covering the NBA. Interesting on Hale, on Jalen Hutchinson too. Really good points about Toronto being a fit for him. Yeah, the uh, the pick and roll game, I and mean, that certainly is going to be the calling card and is a huge NBA strength of Jalen Hutchinson's. Yes, some streaky shooting. Is he in you know a definite point guard? Questions there, but again, I see uh, Malcolm Brogdon a little bit more potential. Uh, somebody just texted me this, Jake. What in the world does three and D mean? That means somebody that can hit the three and also can step out as a wing defender. So guys that well exactly that like paul george was a three and d guy right he could hit the three for you but he also if need be could step out as a wing and, and yeah. guard all the way out it's an area the pacers lack it's certainly an area the pacers lack and i think that is a big question mark and why 
um, especially the defensive end of the floor. Uh, that needs to be a focus coming up on Thursday night. All right, uh, we pushed the pop quiz to the end of the show, so we'll do that next. Again, Substitute Teacher Day on the pop quiz. We'll round out the show with that. Jiffy Lube oil change up for grabs. Give us a call, 317-239-1070. Kevin, this should be easy to pick the number one through eight for today. If we're going the placement of the Cincinnati Redlegs in the National League Central, Mm -hmm. right? I thought you were going to go with how many wins they've had in a row, but that actually exceeds one through eight. It is pretty amazing. Uh, I say we go numero uno. What do you think? All right, let's do it. Let's hop the NL Central. Chris. What's up, Chris? Hello, how are you? Thank you. Great Reds name. Chris, thank you for calling. Chris has got to be one of the first people that ever said thank you for taking (laughs) it on air for the pop quiz. Chris, you sound like a nice fellow. Have you called the program before? Uh, sporadically, yes. Sporadically, yes. okay. Um, have you talked, uh, have you done it since, like, this installment of the program? Yes. Okay. Yep. And, and did we play Get to Know Your Listener with you? We've had a lot of success with this. Kids in particular love it. Have you Have you participated? No. Okay. Do no. you mind doing that real quick? Not at all. Okay. Not at all. Uh, Chris, if you don't mind me asking, who was president of the United States in the year of your birth? Ronald Reagan. Okay. Um, and you attended what high school, Chris? Bishop Chittard. Whoa, okay. Uh, so I'm going to guess that you that would put you somewhere around the class of anywhere from 98, the class of 98 to uh, what, like 2006, somewhere in there. I was 03. So yep, you were right in the okay, right in the wheelhouse. Uh, Chris, you do what for a living now? Uh, I'm in the restaurant industry. I uh, I tend bar. Oh, okay. Oh, well, where at? Um, so uh, catering company. Oh, gotcha. Nice. Chris, I married a Shatar Trojan, and my mother is a Shatar Trojan. <laughs> yeah, actually, because you, you went to Cathedral, as I recall, right? I Cor- seem to remember from from the fo- or from the, uh, from the show, I should say. Correct. Yeah, yeah, 2008 grad, so my brother was a 2002 graduate of Cathedral. But, yeah, Shatar, great school. Nothing, nothing against Chris, Trojan. intending bar, do you ever uh, serve PBR? Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> there we go, Chris. Who's your favorite Chris athlete of all time? Um, for some reason, Chris here. Sabo is popping. Yeah, you in my sound head. like Chris Sabo. Chris Sabo. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know. I'm kind of drawing a blank here. Chris Chelios, have, maybe. I, I don't know. Chelios, I, I like that one. <laughs> you know, it, you sound like Chris Kringle, Chris, because you, you're a jolly fellow, aren't you? You sound like a jolly fellow. I, I try to be. You know, I try to have a. Uh, a positive outlook <laughs> I like as that. I go about life. Chris, the greatest Chittard athlete of all time is who? Uh, it's got to be one of the Martins, right? Just yeah. like default, kind of, yeah. Yeah, I would say Zach. Zach Martin might go down as the greatest football player ever in, from the state of Indiana. Yeah, it could be, yeah. When it's all said and done, if he plays for another, what, half dozen years? Rod Woodson? Yeah, but mm-hmm. I mean, if, if Zach Martin wins, what, 10 all-pros? He's making all-pro-teams, and yeah... <laughs> He's a guard, so no one talks about him, but yeah. Well, Chris, you're the nicest caller in pop quiz history. That's right. Uh, so, uh, hints galore coming your way. For some reason, Jake is hoarding his questions, so I guess we will begin with Jake. Uh, okay, uh, here we go. Question number one for you, Chris. You ready? Uh-huh. The Cincinnati Reds are leading the National League Central. Their last playoff series win was in 1995. That's the last time they won a playoff series. What team did they beat? Was it the Braves, the Dodgers, the Phillies, or the Rockies? Uh, I'm going to say the Phillies. 
Uh, go west, young man. Oh, Rockies. Okay. Mark, you want to ask yours next? Sure. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays remain the best team in baseball with a record of 51-24. and 24. Who owns the best record in the National League? Is it Kevin and Jake's Cincinnati Reds, the Arizona Diamondbacks, the Miami Marlins, or the Atlanta Braves? The Braves. Nice. All right, Chris, question number three here. Alabama's Brendan Miller is likely to be the first collegian taken in Thursday's NBA draft. Who is the only University of Alabama product to play for the Indiana Pacers? Was it Donald Sloan, Jamison Brewer, Derek McKee, or Sam Mitchell? Derek McKee. Say emphasis on the D and the three and D, right? That's right. Take with Derek McKee, and he could certainly hit an open jumper. All right, um, Chris, do you listen to the show often? Uh, I do, yeah. Uh, yeah, I do. I'd, 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 I'd like to think I do, yeah. Okay, I, I, you don't strike me as a liar, so we, I appreciate We'd like you to think you do, too. Uh, Chris, <laughs> yesterday, Jake actually remembered one of his parents' birthdays, which was a bit of a shock. Uh, yesterday was the 82nd birthday of Jake's father. Jake's dad's name is also the real name of Jake. Is that correct? It's my middle name. Middle name of Jake. Hope you followed all that. Yesterday, the 82nd birthday of Jake's father. Jake's dad's name is also Jake's middle name. Is it Lloyd, Lenny, Logan, or Leonard? um, I'm going to say Lloyd, I guess. That's just a random. (laughs) Okay. All right, last question for you. I love Chris's laugh. So you're telling me there's a chance. (laughs) Uh, The number one pick in the NBA draft is going to be Victor Webinyama of France. Who was the last international player, and by international I mean did not play for an American college. Who was the last international player taken number one overall in the NBA draft? Was it Ben Simmons, Markel Fultz, Andrea Bergnani, or Enos Kanter? Uh, Ben Simmons. Chris, uh, you're a smart fellow. Where did you go to school before Chittard? Uh Good old St. Matthews off of uh, 56 and uh, <clears throat> Binford. Sure. Go Warriors. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Red and white. That's a, uh, that's a Martin uh, institution, right? That's that's where the Martin boys it went, is. correct? Yeah, yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, <laughs> <was a, laughs> that was a very good effort by, by Chris there. The St. Matthew football field, by the way, I, I pass it often to go pick up the kids from daycare. It doesn't look like it's doing in great shape. Is Chris gone? Willy nilly, I was like, uh, they better get the lawn care guys out there. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we can get we can get on that to produce a few more warrior products there. Uh, Jake, you pretty much have all the pop quiz questions and answers. It seemed like he did very well. Uh, he did do very well. Lloyd is in fact my father's name and my middle name, by the way. So he got that correct. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> he was correct, was he not? That the Braves have the best record yep. of the National League. We have Matt Ryan. Derek McKee. Atlanta reference. Yeah. Derek McKee also the correct answer. He was oh possession into the end zone. For a... <laughs> oh my! But when I said go west, young man, I was trying to say go all the way west to the Dodgers oh. was number one. He went with the Rockies, and you know what? He said Ben Simmons, which is actually what I was thinking when I wrote the question originally. But Ben Bar-Yani. Simmons did play a year at LSU. It was Andrea Bargnani was the last international player to not play collegiately but go number one overall in the NBA draft. What a good dude. Oh, he's great. He he sounded kind of like, I'm trying to think of what, not Seth Rogen, like the laugh itself. It kind of had a Seth Rogen type feel Yeah, I it, felt right? like we were talking to somebody from, um, uh, what is, super bad. Totally. That was great. That guy'd be an awesome bartender, I'll bet you. 
Yeah, I, I was really hoping he was like at an establishment that I frequent. You know, one of my favorite um, conversation starters, and let me tell you, Shannon loves when I do this. If we're at dinner, I will oftentimes, we always sit at the bar, and a lot of times I'll ask the bartender, I'm like, hey, question for you. What what bottle behind you do you grab the most often? And 90% of the time, the bartender's like, oh, it is definitely blank. What Tito's. Bottle? Correct. Nice. And then I'm usually like, okay, which one do you grab the least? Have you ever seen that? Everclear. There, that's a good guess. I'm going to say it's like one of those liqueurs, like the coffee liqueurs. Okay, so there is a liqueur that looks like a Mrs. Butterworth bottle. Oh, it starts with an F. I, I forget what it's called. Frangelico. I, is, that, is that what it's yeah, called? Yeah, I used to bartend. Yeah, that's what it was. Wow, you used to bartend? Mm-hmm. I never knew this about you. Yeah. Where at, at, Mark? at a country club. Really? Hmm. Lincolnshire oh, yes. Country Club in Creed, Illinois. Yeah. L- Lincolnshire. Yeah, Sterling and I used uh-huh. to go there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what was the most common mixed drink that you made? Mixed How drink? old were you when you were bartending? Well, 18, 19, <laughs> 20. <laughs> Illinois rule laws uh, a little different. Yeah, it's kind of hush hush. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, now, how good a bartender were you? I'm, I think I'm pretty good. What's I mean, okay? What's the most complicated drink that you had to make? Uh, grasshopper, which was like vanilla oh, ice that. cream and like creme de menthe and all that stuff. Yeah, it was a pain in the ass. You had to run to the freezer and grab ice cream and all that stuff. It was not 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 a fun drink to make. People really order the like that stuff uh, yeah, on I mean, a frequent yeah, basis. Yeah, because it was like, like we did a lot of we weddings doing? and stuff. So, so what's the like, most well, common? Let's get fancy. It's open bar. What's the most common mixed drink people order? Most common mixed drink uh, was probably just. I mean whiskey and coke and stuff as old guys so it was like yeah. they're always like smearing off on the rocks please with a twist yeah. what, what like was that. the house whiskey house whiskey it was just i think it was just jack daniels okay yeah um that that seems mark you probably made pretty good tips there oh yeah yeah weddings were good yeah weeknight for dinner it was always solid golf outings were always great what what, what beers on draft on draft we didn't have draft it was all bottled okay what was the most commonly miller light Really? Mm-hmm. No lighter yeah, cores. Like. Tastes great. Yeah. Speaking of golf outings, we got a photo shoot coming up later today. We do. Is that correct. We do. As a matter of fact, that's why we're both. I'm wearing just going to wear this. We'll bring our little matching shirts with the PBR hat. Again, this is what I like about the golf outing. You don't need to be rocking a bunch of golf shirts at this thing. Just um, laid back, casual, back nine downtown. We're doing it uh, to promote the fact that on Tuesday, July 11th, we're going to be at back nine. That is golf and entertainment, all to benefit the American Heart Association. You can be there as well, by the way, because we are doing our golf get together. Everything getting underway at 11 o'clock in the morning. That's on Tuesday. JMV will be there uh, broadcasting. Of course, he he starts at three, which is right when the event is going to end. But uh, Kevin will be showing off his golfing skills. I will be probably hitting it into one of the nets. And even though you're looking at downtown Indianapolis, and I'll be walking bay to bay, probably maybe having a grasshopper. Right? Oh, <laughs> Food, God. entertainment, the you name it, it's all there. Hate you if you order that, we would love for you. By the way, ninety-five dollars per person or three sixty-four a foursome. That does include three hours of play, lunch, some swag, a special gift to commemorate the event, and of course, you can find all of the information on our website, one hundred seven five thefancom Would love for people to be able to do that. And I, I literally, I think I'm just gonna walk around oh hell yeah socialize and mingle that's the nice thing about this you know unlike a golf outing where it's you know four group you know four people in a group on a hole and you can't really mingle a whole lot i feel like this has got much more of that feel so really looking forward to it coming up three tuesdays from today that would be july 11th perfect opportunity to take a little pto action join us down there at the back nine again all three of our shows will be there that day so come out early catch final hour or so you know have a nice late morning cocktail with us and then 
uh, enjoy a great entertaining day at the back nine. Do you think they'll find this vessel today, or do you think like we'll be talking about this again tomorrow? I'm kind of obsessed with this. Yeah, I, I, I'm a little nervous for their safety. I'm thinking the cabin pressure. Nate Atkins, Kyle Irving, thank you to both of them. That'll be up on the podcast. Everybody have a great Tuesday. We'll talk to you tomorrow.